Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. Hey, Melissa. Yeah. Who's sitting next to you? Oh my gosh, it's Mark. It's my husband, Mark. Oh, how about that? Oh, am I supposed to talk now? <laughs> uh, yeah. Hi, I'm Mark. I'm today's guest. <laughs> He's the first guest to announce himself. <laughs> I like it. I think it's a bold move. Maybe that's what we do for four timers. I was going to say, I'm creating my own membership benefits since you uh, did not lay them out for me. So we're just going to start right now. That belt is still in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Um, what have you been up to since last time you were on, which was season four? Trouble in Candyland. That's right. Mm-hmm. We have this like policy of bringing Mark on when one of the four Braverman siblings is fucking up their marriage. <laughs> uh, yeah, inadvised kisses, I think, is maybe our theme. Unadvised? Inadvised? Um, Inadvisable? Ill-advised? Ill-advised. Illicit? Ooh, and that. That works too. Fucking stupid. Fucking yeah. stupid. Not a good idea, Bravermans. <laughs> All right. So what have you been up to since I, December? I mean, we're getting back to life here, people. You know, I just doing a lot of things. We just went on a trip. Yeah. Um, Melissa knows about this trip, you know, because she was with me on it. We yeah. went to Europe. Um, before that, we've been going to more wrestling events. That's great. Melissa's yeah. been doing, man, you haven't been doing that much more poetry, really. Not that much Not more. Not much more live no. yet, but yet. Yet. It will happen. Um, we're going to go visit Caleb next month. Next month yeah. we're visiting Caleb. We can't wait. But we're talking about the past, not the future. So <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's it's just been picking up. I think I'm, I'm learning how to manage my anxiety of getting back all the things I, I felt like I wanted back through the pandemic. And now understanding the quality, like the quality of downtime and, and quiet time and wanting that back a little bit while still, uh, just seeing there's a world of things to do out there that I want to do. Um, balance the balance and I'll just never achieve it, but it's been good. It's, I think it's been a good six months. I mean, in within the household and the family, I think things have been good. Everything else is shit out there, but I think <laughs> that, uh, I think that it's been good in here, so I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. Parenthood. Parenthood. Today we're discussing Season 5, Episode 11, Promises. Promises, promises, I'm all through with promises, promises now. I, don't I enjoyed that. That was, that was a nice surprise. The smooth sounds of Ms. Dion Warwick. Anyway. <laughs> Promises. I often have to say the title reminded me of Promises, the rehab facility that used to be in Malibu and treated such luminaries as Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears. Uh, they are true lights. You're right. And I don't know why the name, I shouldn't make jokes about a rehab facility, but it, it always made me laugh when I would hear it like, oh, Lindsay's back at Promises again. Oh, no. <laughs> it would always like make me laugh. Anyway, <laughs> season five, episode 11, Promises. It was written by David Hudgens, directed by Michael Weaver. It originally aired on January 2nd, 2014. We're into a new year oh, of air 14. dates. Okay, eight years ago. 14. And here's wow. the TV Guide synopsis. Joel mediates a conflict between Julia and Ed. That's an interesting way to put that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Zeke makes a new friend in Camille's absence. Drew reminisces about past emotions and Natalie gets upset. And Sarah learns more about Carl when the two attend a fundraiser together. I thought we would start with Sarah and Carl. 
First off, I loved Sarah's presidential joke. That is yeah. so my humor. Yeah. But we get a combination that, unless I'm much mistaken, <laughs> I don't think we have ever had before. Sarah and Jasmine? Yes. A one-on-one scene between Sarah and Jasmine. Hey, um, what's this guy's last name again? Fletcher. Carl Fletcher, why? Okay. What are you doing? Looking what are you up? doing? Don't look him up. Don't look him up. Why not? Because I'm superstitious about that. It's, <laughs> it's tacky and stalkery. I'm going to go try more dressing um, up. It's $1,000 a plate, OK? Ugh. So we have to look him up and see what's going on with this guy. And you should wear the black one. It's going to look amazing. I don't want to look amazing. Why not? Jasmine, it's not a date. I'm just going with this guy to for networking reasons. And because he asked me to be his plus one, and I thought, you know. Uh-huh. Who cares? Carl Fletcher, right? That's his name? Yeah. Is this him? Uh, is it police records? Crime? Verify that this is him. Is this that him? Is, I verified, yes. Okay. So, Global Med World Services is an international nonprofit that builds hospitals and clinics in underprivileged countries. But he doesn't have anything to do well, with it. Well, yeah, it is because he is the chairman and executive director of it. He went to Duke. Columbia Med School, no, he didn't. and he is board certified in neonatology. You've got to be kidding me. No, he's, he's a doctor and he saves babies. <laughs> I actually found them delightful and yeah, yeah, they should hang out all the time. I feel like those are two characters that would actually really like each other because I feel like Sarah is probably close. Like, I feel like she has the sisters bond with Julia and I feel like she has the oldest kids bond with Adam. But I think who she actually feels the most like is probably Crosby. Yeah. Who's a little bit of a screw up and artistic. And Crosby marries this dancer, very artsy, cool woman. I think she probably would like Crosby's wife. And I don't know. I just, yeah, I I really buy that. It makes me think of when Julia threw the bridal shower for Jasmine and totally like got it wrong (laughs) you know like it was very formal and fancy and not Jasmine's style at all and Sarah had the right vibe for that was like uh let's maybe get a drink before we you know play party games (laughs) yeah so so here's my question about the whole Carl storyline are we supposed to find these revelations about Carl comical because I did (laughs) Like, because why the hell wouldn't he just be upfront about being a doctor who saves babies instead of being revealed to us as like sort of a scumbag who dates 20 year olds? And then all of a sudden, no, he's amazing. Don't judge people, audience or Sarah. I'm just going to tip my hand. So here's my thoughts about this. I remember finding it silly the first time around. Like, and I think we are supposed to find it comical, like, oh, you expect him to be one thing, and he's not only not that, he's, like, the complete opposite. But to me, it is such a 180 from how the character was introduced that I find it not unbelievable, but, like, it it just feels, like, unserious. And I kind of like the idea that someone respected and esteemed professionally could be kind of a sleaze personally. I think that's a dichotomy that's hard for a lot of people to accept. It would be interesting to explore. So if Carl did start this nonprofit and did save babies and also only dated 20-year-olds and refused to make a commitment, well, that I think is interesting. This guy who, in one sense, you wouldn't respect at all, and in another sense, you have to respect. How do you square that? 
But now that he's interested in Sarah, it feels like they are so glossing over the sleaziness with the professional prestige. And I'm just confused. I'm like, well, is Sarah making him change his ways? If that's the case, I think he needs to say that or she needs to ask him. Yeah. Or were those never really his ways? I think I maybe mentioned this last time, like if she had just seen him with a young 20 something and thought that's who he was. But then she asked him and it turned out that that was a real woman of substance and he didn't have like a policy. He just happened to be dating someone much younger, just like she had with Mark. Right. Then that might be interesting. Oh, Sarah's jumping to conclusions and judging this woman based on how she looks and blah, blah. But they haven't said that. Then why did they make him say, oh, I don't date women over, you know, this certain age? Yeah. I just feel like in an effort to make this character surprising, they've made him make no sense at all. They've made him into your typical romantic comedy male, right? Like, not only is he handsome and charming, but he has the secret skill that nobody knew about. You know, Sweet Home Alabama, he's a glass blower or whatever the fuck. <laughs> I mean, it's it like, and so so they've taken him and kind of made him into a bit of a joke, right? And just knowing what I know about Melissa talking about how he only dated younger women or whatever, I think it adds kind of a sleaziness to his character still. Like, I think he it does seem like he's disingenuous and like it doesn't make sense. But here's my main question is from what I've seen of Sarah... Does it make sense within the context context of this show that as this guy becomes a more endearing person or, or uh, ethical person that she would become more attracted to him? <laughs> Is yeah. that within the character of Sarah? That's a good point. I also want to say this, that something I've noticed about Sarah that she does with, with men that she's starting to become interested in is she makes these like inspirational looks at them where the camera just kind of centers on her face and she thoughtfully kind of looks and I could do without that. <laughs> just that gazing in awe. Yes. I, and it always portends disaster. Oh. It's like she, it's, <laughs> it's amazing how you save that girl. Like, no! how, is it a little bit like hero worshipy? Like and no, I think no. it's just kind of bad. Uh, it's kind of bad planning or something. I don't know. <laughs> like it's like show the character falling in love, and this is how they show her character falling for somebody is like looking at them thoughtfully, and kind of squeezing her eyes together, and and you know having this thought process of oh he is you know he is making me feel something. I don't know. But I I mean I almost wonder if the way she knows to fall in love is to think he's superior to me or something. Like she did that with Billy Baldwin, Gordon. I could think of his real name. And I wonder if she, I mean, it is interesting the way she looks at him at the, you know, as he's about to receive that award. I also think that's a pretty smooth move, inviting someone to an event where you know you're gonna receive an award. Well, but this is the thing. Because of how he was introduced, yeah. I think for sure this was a smooth move. Right. It was all in an effort to sweep her away. But then I like, well, that's kind of sleazy in its own way then, rather than it's not a surprise. It's information he withheld from you, knowing what effect it would have on you. And and then it Ooh. just feels gross again, too. Then it's a little manipulative, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. And huh. But I don't think that's what they meant for it to be. I'm like, no. well, then you needed to have introduced him in a different way. But I, I don't know. Maybe they did because he even says, as he's dropping her off at her door, I'm not going to sleep with you tonight. Like, I, I mean, he like kind of throws it in her face. Like, you know, I'm, I'm doing exactly as you said or whatever. But he's doing it with the smug realization that he's the one turning her down now because he's won her over. 
I don't know. I think I'm with you, Caleb. Here's the other thing that I just find so confusing. So, like, I, I kind of admired him for not sleeping with her, like, because I don't think he intended to that night. <laughs> just that night. Yeah. I don't find their little flirtation that cute because, to me, it just doesn't make any sense. They clearly both like each other by the end of this episode. They're clearly both attracted to each other. Yeah. Because she's like, smack your butt again. She likes that. <laughs> They clearly both respect each other. Yeah. If there's a good reason for them to be denying themselves the pleasures of being together, no one has articulated it satisfactorily for I, me. You know what? Why for, are they just not together? For me, I, they have. You can read it the way that we have been, that he's being sort of smug that he gets to turn her down now. But I think maybe the show wants us to see that Carl is showing he can be a man of substance that he isn't just the version of him that she originally saw and met, which is probably also a truthful version of him, but not the entire truth. It was a single story, as Chimamanda DJ would say. Uh -huh. And so maybe he wants her to see the full spectrum of him, which is, you tell me that tonight's not going to be about sex. I am not going to be like super charming and, and win you over only to have sex with you. You said it wasn't going to be about sex, so it isn't. I'm more interested in seeing you long term. And tonight wasn't just about sleeping with you. And that's it. And so I wonder if that's why. Because he now knows, oh, I think she might like me. Good. I was actually going for something real and not just sex. Okay. Good. Which I, I like. If that's what that this is. That is a case well made. Thank you. If this is what it is, then I sort of like it. But I do think it was unnecessarily complicated. And why not just bring him in? We, like we said last time, the same way that they brought in Mark. And just have them hit it off and have them like each other. Why all this drama of he's actually a whole different person than we thought, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I think it's more interesting when it's a little bit more straightforward, actually. Yeah. Well, and I guess the question is, were they planning on this all along? Or is it kind of sloppy storytelling where they're like, oh, let's swerve this into something else. And it just kind of, because you trust the show and you trust the storytelling, you let it work itself out in the process. Or is it more shrewd on their part where they're like, we're going to twist this. But I think if it were more shrewd, um, I like Caleb's idea of he's, he being more than you know he's two things at once you know he could be kind of a womanizer and also a guy who does amazing things for babies yeah. <laughs> and i think that that would be a really cool thing to do for that character and make her deal with it and she's also a person who would definitely find the good in him because these are the kind of men she like you know she likes the dark side or whatever i don't even mean to say that's a dark side but but you know she she can find uh She's attracted to that, those kind of things, I think. Well, and then this is a really uh, dumb comment after all these perceptive comments, but I used to love watching soap operas, you know, um, General Hospital and Days of Our Lives. Those were my jams. And they would do this interesting thing where, and of course, soap operas don't have nuance or anything. So they didn't have complicated characters. They had villains and they had heroes. And what they would do often is introduce a character as a villain, but then, uh-oh, everyone really loves this actor. They think he's fantastic. Let's just make him a hero. Like, and they would just sort of retcon his character. And I wonder if they're like, well, you know, this guy's hella charming. Let's let's just retcon him. And now he's a hero. I don't think that's what Parenthood's doing. I don't either. Because I feel like if you hired this guest actor, you would have to tell him, like, well, here's the character you're going to play. And here's his arc. Right. Probably. Like, I don't think they'd feel like, oh, you're just going to be on the show for the rest of the run now. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's they really that, true. But do right. you do you two having watched the show 
billions of times. <laughs> Are you sharing my feelings that you're just bored to death of Sarah's flirty banner with men? Banter, excuse me. Because I am just done with this, like, oh, I think I like you. And then she becomes, like, a teen. <laughs> just, like making quir little quippy comments at, at the men and it's just like you know where the character is going when she starts doing this this is how i feel because i've seen this happen like my all my episodes i think she's had some kind of back and forth like that and it's i don't know it's kind of getting boring to me or annoying or something i think if i were a male in her in her orbit orbit i would just be like stop it just stop <laughs> well you know last episode i did mention that i thought it was kind of funny that you say like teenagery like i thought it was sort of teenagery that she slept with him and then said this isn't happening again we're not gonna sleep together again you know like like it was yeah. a little like flirty and not and now that you say this because caleb and i have talked about like why does the show keep thinking that we're going to be interested in her just dating person after person instead of i don't know exploring what it's like for her to truly be on her own for a while or in a really steady relationship i i wonder if there's something to the fact that Sarah, when she's around her family members, especially her kids, she's more interesting, you know, like, and she's funny. It's like she almost slips into a flirty persona or something. And it, I think it might stem from insecurity, you know, like this is this is how I act to get someone to like me or something. It feels very subconscious, but I, I don't know. Caleb, what do you think? I mean, I mostly agree. Her banter doesn't bother me. I mean, I, I find love it, it. Entertaining. I love it. Yeah. Like I loved the when he said it's Mrs. Kreppels or whatever. She said who, and he said Carl, and then she said who again. I was like, that's a good move. Yeah. But I I totally agree with the spirit of what you mean. It does feel like okay, Sarah. When do you grow up? Yeah. Time to grow up. And then also, I I so agree that I'm not all that interested in her dating life. I don't like that. And it feels to me like the show has four adults and three of them are married. Mm -hmm. And so they look at this one character, Sarah, and think, well, she's the only one we can have date. So let's just have her date. I'm like, well, she can, she can do all sorts of things. And I'm not that interested in her dating life. I also think from what I've seen, and I've seen quite a bit with, with her and uh, what's Ray Romano's character? Hank. With Hank, and it is a different dynamic. I mean, she does not, the, the quipping does not happen as much because Hank shuts it, like, he's, he's so literal yeah. that yeah. it doesn't go very far. He, he would take it yeah, too Yeah, he's literally. not a good volley. No, he's not. He's not. And that makes her partner. infinitely more interesting as a character to me. Like, she says much less when she's talking to him. She's listening more. She is really letting the the weight of his words hit her, I think, because what he's saying often means exactly what he's saying, right? And he, he just comes at you like, it's like a, I mean, it's insane what Ray Romano does with that character. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, but I think it brings out the best in Sarah. I think his character really does. And I think even when I was annoyed with her, I think it was our last episode, it was just like, what the hell's going on with her and Ray Romano? It was still, you know, by comparison, I think she's at her most likable with him. Which is interesting because when they were first, when he was first on, I did not think that was true, especially the episode you were on, right? Where it's... she was like kind of throwing away her life to just go be his assistant. Mm -hmm. But this season, I do find it really interesting that this season they're not a couple and we're seeing kind of a rich friendship play out. 
And I, I definitely think that it's much healthier than it was when she was engaged to someone else. And, but this I'm very interested in talking about with both of you. I'm so fascinated by what's happening with Hank right now. And I really desperately want to know, and I know Caleb and I have talked about this, did the show know they were going to do this with Hank? Or are they retconning Hank? It's kind of a, a theme of <laughs> wondering about Carl, but now wondering about Hank. Because the way he was when she was with, with Mark, that felt careless to me. Like, I care about my life. I don't care about your life. Does the possibility of him having Asperger's sort of explain that, like single-mindedness? And I was just reading it as being inconsiderate. And does that really help how we saw him last season? Well, and I do want to say, as we delve into this, we have been sitting on this secret ever since Hank came on the show. Yeah. And we've actually had deep discussions about it because we want to be spoiler free. But I I know like Melissa was sometimes saying like, if I'm pretending like I don't know anything about this, I'm worried that I'm coming across really harsh. Yeah. Do we need to maybe like put this caveat out there? And we decided no, because that is how we first experienced it. But so we have been kind of acting at times and we've been really putting ourselves back in that position we were the first time without this knowledge. Because we didn't know the first time we watched the show. No. Neither of us had predicted this, although it's a really good twist where it makes perfect sense once you know it. You're like, oh. Well, and that was part of it. This time as we were rewatching, knowing, yeah, it seemed like there were clues mm-hmm. almost from the very beginning. Yeah. And then it seemed like, how did we miss it? I mean, it's like rewatching The Sixth Sense and you realize <laughs> like, oh, he was sitting in that room with the kid's mom, but they weren't talking. <laughs> like, how did I not notice? I just assumed that they'd been talking. Yeah. I- I mean, I think part of what makes parenthood so great is this relatability, right? I mean, we know we're watching a show, but we can connect ourselves with different things that are happening. And whether they were, they meant to or not make his character be on the spectrum or, or whatever, I think it does mimic real life. I think that we don't know in real life. We don't know what might be going on with people. We don't know about their trauma. We don't know about any kind of issues they may be having. We don't know anything. We know blind and we know what our biases are. And sometimes we don't realize what our biases are until something is revealed to us later on. And this happens to me all the time. I'm I'm a relatively perceptive person and I'll pick up things in a certain way about a person and I learn more about them later. And I understand that while I was correct, especially in my negative assumptions sometimes, that I needed to make some adjustments for maybe what might be happening in their life. And this is something that goes on with me. Melissa knows this daily. <laughs> you know, I'm just constantly dealing with this. And that reminds me of this. I mean, like, whether this is a bombshell or whether people saw it coming or whatever, like, th- this happens. We, we feel like somebody is one thing and then you understand more about them and their, and their viewpoint of the world or their inability to see things in a certain way or ability to see things in a different way. And, and then you understand more about them. And I think that, again, it goes back to really great writing because no, whatever sloppiness they had in the past, like that, that conversation, and I don't mean to be jumping ahead, but the conversation between Sarah and him where he's kind of like freaking out and, and figuring it out, they tie it together perfectly with like three lines where he's just like, I, I always thought it was everybody else. And now I'm thinking, was it me? You know, and he just nails it. All the, the three main things in his life that make him so treacherous. <laughs> 
they just connected those things together and, and just smoothly laid that out. So I, I thought that was interesting as far as just, just enjoying a show and, and seeing the way writing happens sometimes. I thought that was, that was strong. Let's hear that scene. Max, he flipped out. He had a, he had a meltdown the other day, you know? Okay. And, and even that, see, even that. I, I used to have huge meltdowns all the time, all the time. Once this kid, this kid cheated me trading baseball cards and I flipped out. I mean, I flipped the hell out on this kid. What's that book? What nothing. is happening? I was reading this book for Max. I'm reading it for the kid. And then all of a sudden, I'm not reading about the kid anymore. I'm reading about me. This book is describing me. Where? What do you mean? Look at this. Right there, difficulty expressing emotions. Hank, that's every man I know. Yeah, here. Uh, insensitive to nonverbal cues of others, taking directions, literally failure to read between the lines, uncomfortable with the eye contact, everything. Check, check, check. You know, I'm seeing my life here. I'm seeing my life. I'm seeing everything, the whole thing. Why stuff happens. I I'm seeing my wife. I, you know, my wife, I always thought she was this, this royal bitch. But, yeah, what if it's me all along? What if she can't deal with me because of this? Because of me? Because of who I am? Because what if this is the reason I'm losing all those big jobs or, or my daughter doesn't want to see me? Or you? You know? You... You going on a date or something? Kind of. See, I missed another cue. No, no, it's, I'm just, I'm going to a thing, I'm That's a right. plus one. You don't got to protect my feelings or anything. I, I go on dates, so you know. I wonder I like this kid, though. I mean, that's it. That's, I'm just like him, right? I'm just like Max. Should we say at some point some of the clues that we were noticing this time around that we yeah. kind of held off on mentioning? I mean, we we really had so many debates. Like, do we mention that? But spoiler free, we didn't. So, yeah. What, what were some of the little signs we noticed this time around? Well, was it just the last episode? Oh, no, it was two ago. 509 Election Day when Max wants to ask out Ruby. Mm. Hank gives him a little talk at the end. And Hank uses the phrase guys like us. Yeah. Who aren't good at talking, who have trouble socially. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but it's as if you know already that you have it, but that's not why you're using that phrase. But actually it probably is. You just don't know it yet. Yeah, the writers and know then it. When he was trying to take Sarah out on a proper date at the end of, I think, season four, after everything had blown up, and she had to like walk him through step by step. And I remember thinking, this is the way Gabby would explain how to ask a stranger to play two square yeah. with Max. Like, here's the steps. Here's how you do it. That he didn't like eye contact. He said that, I remember, at the end of season four. He said that he could look at her, but he didn't like to look at most people. Yeah. And that's why he gives Sarah the the camera to give Max. He's like, Max can look at the world through the, through the camera. Yeah. yeah. So... We were definitely taking note, but again, I want to say that when he was first introduced on the show, he doesn't make it sound like guys like us. You know, he talks right. about how he was very popular in school and had lots of dates and sold weed and drove a motorcycle, you know, so it makes me wonder if they really knew right when they hired him or if they're like, here's a way we can make some of his gruffness. <laughs> here's um, my latest theory. Oh, let's hear And it. this is purely theoretical. I don't have any inside knowledge. 
My guess is that they did not conceive the character to be on the spectrum, but that they noticed enough traits over the course of season four Mm -hmm. that before they brought him back for season five, they decided that they would make that an arc for the season. Yeah. And so then they started putting in deliberate clues. I could see that. And perhaps rewriting some history to make it conform with this very interesting idea. Yeah. And we won't spoil whether or not he gets diagnosed with autism, folks, but we will say this is not the end of this (laughs) storyline. This continues much longer, him exploring whether or not he is autistic. He has connected with Max from the beginning, right? Like, I mean, that has always been a, they've always had a connection. Yeah, literally, I think from Hank's first episode, he meets Max and they hit it off. So that is interesting. And I wonder... I wondered this in the final scene where Max's apology was really sweet to Hank. And I thought, are Max and Hank the best friendship that the show has depicted? Whoa. I think maybe. I think maybe too. What I liked about that apology is that that was obviously like a scripted apology. You know, like he mm-hmm. he was taught how to say it. And Hank just does not even flinch. You know, he just he just accepts it. Like I think if he was talking to Adam... Adam would have maybe looked at him kind of like when one of those Adam looks, you know, like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing here. But Hank's just like, yes, okay. You know, he gets it completely because Max was telling him exactly what he needed to hear. I mean, there was no inflection. There's no wasted time. It's just give the information you need to hear. How do I feel? How do you feel? Why was that wrong? What will be different? Done. And, And I mean, that is, it was, it was a really nice moment, but it was also perfectly received by Hank as well. So that's a really interesting point too, because it it makes me realize that a lot of characters, I mean, I think basically every character judges Max, even when he's doing the right things, they're judging him for his like lack of finesse. Like it was not a very smooth apology. It was very blunt. And it was like you said, just like, here's the points I need to hit and I'm just going to hit them. And, you know, like like you said, if it had been Adam, Adam would get hung up, even if he didn't say anything, on the like, oh, Max, you're, you're doing this kind of inartfully. And most people apologize in a much more artful way. And it would it would snag on him. I don't think Hank has that judgment. Yeah. Right. I think Hank hears it and goes, oh, you, you said it. You said yeah. all the things you need to say. I'm good. And he doesn't judge him. Yeah. And maybe it's because he's the same way. Or maybe not. But... It is, I think, why their bond works so well. Because Hank is not judging Max for who he is. Hank is focused on what Hank wants. Hank wants his friendship with Max to be intact. That's what he wants. He doesn't care about anything else. Max wanted his pictures to be developed at that point. That was the promise. So it's just, it's face value. It's what was promised. Get it done. Oh, I got it. We're good. You know? And I think that between those two characters... And I I did want to go back to when Max does have the meltdown. When we watched it initially, I said, because Adam says, oh, he's having a temper tantrum or a tantrum. And I said, that's not a tantrum. That's a meltdown. And Melissa's like, why is that? And I explained to her that the difference between a meltdown and a tantrum is a tantrum is to get something you want. Like you are providing a behavior so you can get the other person to wear down. A meltdown is you have no control over your emotional capacity because of the disappointment or because of because of a precipitating factor. And obviously Max wanted something, but even if 
even if Hank had given him what he wanted in the store, he wasn't going to stop. Like, he was already set off and it was over. And he had no control over it at that point. His throwing, all those things, like, that that was part of it. And then I thought it was just really cool that when Hank talks about Max's behavior, he called it a meltdown, having just read the book. Like, I thought that was a really, like, just coming from a special ed perspective, I really respected that, that they very quietly, like, corrected Adam. And it almost shows you Uh how the parents, like, well, they've come along, and they handled this one really, really well, I thought. I think they did a great job. But still, I really enjoyed that, that little piece of um, understanding the difference between those two things because I think it's important for us to understand that when we think of tantrums we think of brats we think of kids who get too much you know and and that is (laughs) yes I think Sydney would count um but that and that's not the case I mean that does not mean that Max's behavior is not a tantrum sometimes that's that I'm not saying that just because he's on the spectrum but um I really enjoyed that so from my perspective good observation I also wanted to just say that I think that when Max does give that apology, it reminds me of the episode with Amber instructing him on like how to apologize. And her real focus with him was making sure that he sounded sincere. And remember how he couldn't tell the difference when Amber like gave an apology two ways and in one of them she sounded much more sincere. Like we would yeah. recognize that. I think somebody could say that he didn't necessarily sound sincere giving his speech to Hank because it was so obviously scripted. But I think it was sincere. And I think that's deeply interesting to me that maybe some of both Hank and Max's issues that they're going to have in their lives and that they've already had in their lives is that people are going to read them as insincere even when they mean something, like even when they are apologizing or even what. And so like that might be an additional reason why they get each other and, and an additional reason why that apology was good enough for Hank. He knew Max meant it, whereas other people might. Th- th- you called it artful, and I think that is such a good word. But yeah, I think, boy, that's interesting. Like The way that we have those social cues, a lot of that is us reading people's sincerity, and we might be reading it incorrectly sometimes. It's, all, it's always bugged me when people try and glean significance from reactions like that when really it's just like the thing I'm thinking of now is when like Scott Peterson is arrested (laughs) as a suspect in his wife's murder Mm -hmm. and then like someone like Nancy Grace will go on TV and be like just look at him he doesn't look sorry at all he doesn't look torn up at all I think that's doesn't mean he's guilty I mean there are so many reasons all you mean is he's not reacting the way you would want him to react if he were innocent but that doesn't mean he, I, it's just, it, I've, I don't know. It always bugged bug me. That is a, I mean, that's, I've been reading a lot about our judicial system and how so much of what we do in providing sentencing is based on the perpetrator's level of regret um, and how that really doesn't fucking matter, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, you know, it, it, like, should it even matter if somebody shows regret or sorrow over what they did? That is steeped in nonverbal behavior and how we read somebody's intentions. And one of the uh, main factors or one of the big factors in in autism and a diagnosis of autism is the inability to read nonverbal cues, which is your body language, your facial features, your tone of voice and all those things and use those things to show emotion and, and show intent. So if our judicial system is based on 
somebody showing regret and sorrow and expressing these things, then the people who know how to do these things can get off while the people who don't can't. It's, yeah. it's yeah. not equitable. There's a book called House Rules by Jody Pico. We've which all is, read it. Which is book. fiction, but its its premise is exactly that. You're right. That yeah, I didn't even think justice, about that. It's yeah. about a, a young child on the spectrum charged with murder, I believe. Yes. And, you know, the cops who are arresting him and investigating him see a kid who, when he talks about this, is fidgeting and won't look them in the eye, and it seems very suspicious. I, yeah. yeah, good point. Good connection. But, that's because of his autism, not because necessarily he killed this person. Yeah. I also wanted to say about Max's meltdown, I found Hank's concern for Max after that quite touching. I did too. That, you know, that he said, we can't do this right now. I have to shoot these photos. We can't develop your pictures. But he was willing to just ditch that and run after him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so you're really concerned about his safety. And then even when he got home and was talking to Adam and Christina, there was no like defense of himself. It wasn't like, well, I want you guys to know that I didn't do something bad to him and uh, that he was like, is he okay? Yeah. That's what he kept asking. I was like, that's nice. And then when you said Adam and Christina handled it well, it hadn't even occurred to me. But it is true that I feel like in seasons past, if Max displayed behavior like that, they would be really quick to defend him and maybe blame someone else. Be like, Hank, what did you do? Yeah. yeah. And never in this storyline did it, it, they were reassuring Hank, like, he does this. And, you know, he says he thinks you lied to him. I'm sure you didn't. And then even when Hank says, like, well, I kind of did, Adam's like, that happens. And he's like, he has <laughs> you know, to learn like, how to like, handle that. Yeah, he has to learn how to, like, yeah. he does have to learn how to handle that. That's, that's being a good parent. I don't think that's no. harsh. I think in the past too, um, I even rolled my eyes a little bit when Adam comes in with his book. And and I understand the importance of that book for the what they're going to do with um, yeah. with the character of Hank. But I'm like, this is so Adam Braverman. You're going to be like, hey, sorry my kid trashed your room. Here, read this book to find out why. <laughs> and, and, then, and then they just, they twisted it very nicely where he's just like, it's just really important that you guys have that relationship. So this book will help help you do that. And I thought that was a really nice, like that, that really softened the landing for me. Cause I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah. Like that makes sense. I mean, you are looking out for your own self-interest of course, but it is a different kind of self-interest than it was in past episodes that I've seen the way they've handled Max's behavior. They're just like, I mean, he's getting older. He needs friends. You guys connect. His life has been better because of you. We don't want him to fuck this up. Please read right. this book. Don't don't leave us behind here. Like it's it was more of a submission, I think, than it was a directive. And I, I that was not. I thought Adam uh, had a great episode. He did. <laughs> I haven't seen That's him have true. a great episode, um, but he he had a really good episode, which was good because I like I like him. So um, I agree, and I also thought it was a really brilliant way to introduce this storyline. Hank questioning whether he has autism. I'm like, what a natural way for that to occur. Like it didn't yeah. feel contrived at all. It felt totally believable and natural that. He would. It's very Adam Braverman. It's very <laughs> Braverman parent to be like, yeah, read this entire book, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and for him to like be having almost a, an epiphany as he's reading it. I, I did love. And that. it's like it's like for another episode that you were on for Mark, Amazing Andy. Hmm. I I forget was it Adam in that episode who said I think about autism in kids yeah. so much. 
I forget that they grow up and become adults. And so for the show to show us an adult realizing this, yeah, I can't remember exactly how I reacted the first time, but I assume that I wasn't even thinking about that because I also think of autism mostly in children. Yeah. I don't think about them growing up. Well, and he's very different from like Amazing Andy, the other adult character we've seen. Yeah. I think with Amazing Andy, it feel it felt a little bit more I don't want to say stereotypical because I thought that actor obvious. did obvious. But maybe more obvious, yeah. Whereas I think maybe they did introduce Hank without even having that idea in their mind that it was going to be like that. And so like you see how like the gruffness or like maybe selfishness, you know, characteristics that I really came down harshly on on Hank for. And now I grapple with it. Like, am I like now I think it's totally fine that he essentially blew up Sarah's relationship? No, I don't. Like, I don't I don't think that that excuses it, but it does help explain it. And it does help me see Hank as a real person and not just like a plot device that blew up my favorite couple on the show, <laughs> you know? And, and yeah, I, I'm able to look at him with a lot more compassion. I think that Ray Romano, I, I never thought that I'd see him as a genius, but I, I do. When I watch Parenthood, I see his genius. He has created a character <laughs> that has so much more depth than I think they ever intended it having. But like, he's so funny I mean, just in that, that clip that you played, it just alternates. And I think the greatest comedy does. It's always, on, it's always on the cusp of tragedy. You're always on the cusp of kind of feeling heartbroken. And he just walks that line so beautifully. But that fucking book with those post-it notes and how the post-it <laughs> notes just kept getting thicker and thicker. Like, you'd see the book and it just... I mean, that is some of the funniest shit. And when he returns the book, he doesn't even take the notes out. <laughs> He's like, I've been taking some notes. There might be food on here. I read it a lot. <laughs> And then he's, I, it was also funny when he sees the baby, he goes, oh my God, another one. <laughs> you guys are like rabbits around here. <laughs> I mean, in, in like every scene he was in, he just... God, that kid's fast. He's, oh my God. I mean, it's like, you're just like, oh, you're breaking my heart, Hank. And then you just laugh and laugh and laugh. And then it takes you back to the heartbreaking feeling. And, you know, just, um, I, I, he's just a genius with that. I mean... It, I don't know. It's just it's from my last episode where I I thought his character was super selfish and I did not like him very much. <laughs> you know, it's the same character. I mean, that's the beauty of it. We haven't had this great revelation. I mean, I guess the the spectrum thing is a bit of a revelation, but I think just understanding his intentions more as it goes along. It's not like a Carl re- revelation. It's a it's a slow growth of character where you understand this character more, and now seeing where he is, you understand where he was back then. He's single minded, you know. To him, I mean, now that I look at his character in those moments with Sarah uh, when she was still with Mark, I mean, he's thinking, "I want to date her. She wouldn't be talking to me if she wasn't interested in this way. She has a boyfriend, but he's not here." I mean, you know, like, it's very literal. Like, why are you flirting with me? Why are you talking to me this way if you're not interested? He must not be that important to you. Which he has a point. (laughs) And that's Mark's whole point, right? Like, why are you putting yourself in these situations with everybody else and not me, you know? So, yeah, kind of cool. I mean, another thing that occurred to me, just going back to, like, what are the clues that we had? The whole reason he ever hired Sarah if you remember. Oh, I do. It's because she was good with people. And he wasn't. And he didn't like the people. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's no help as a photographer. Yeah. She didn't But know. she could alleviate him of having to, to socially interact. Nice. Which he, and he said in his 
in that scene with her in this episode, it's like, this is maybe why I'm losing all these big jobs. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. It was nice <laughs> to hear some self-reflection from him because I'm learning about myself doing this podcast that my least favorite characteristic in anyone, fictional or in real life, is a lack of self-reflection. Because I was really furious with Crosby, not just for sleeping with Gabby, but for acting like the world had wronged him somehow. You know, like, like he's like, well, Adam, I'm sorry you lost Gabby, but I lost my fiance and maybe my son. But like, he wasn't like, God, I fucked up. You know, I'm like, I think I'm very understanding of anyone fucking up because we all do it. We're all human. But I really can't stand it when someone messes up and like acts like they didn't. Do you know what I mean? And so I think what was driving me crazy about Hank last season is he was just like blowing up Sarah's life as I saw it and being like, whatever, you know. And so now hearing him say things like, I thought my wife was a bitch, which, by the way, I hate it when anyone calls anyone a bitch, but especially like a man calling a woman a bitch. But somehow him saying, I thought that, but maybe it was me. I'm like, okay. Okay. Like, it was yeah. a good use of strong language, I think. Yeah. And, you know, like in our last episode, Adam, or was our last one or the one before that, that Adam got kissed by the... That was two ago. Two ago. But like yeah. also, I mean, he was culpable. I mean, it wasn't that bad, but he, he made some decisions and he just did not take responsibility for what yeah. was going on. And I think this is a good pivot to Julia. <laughs> it's a great episode. pivot to Julia. Oh my God. Because I find her fascinating in this episode when and with whom she is willing to admit certain degrees of responsibility yeah. for what has happened. Exhibit A, her and Ed. <laughs> You're not returning any of my emails. You shouldn't be emailing me. I understand, me. but I'm just... I wanted to apologize for the other day. That's all. I'm not going to talk about it. I know, but I'm going to be at the auction on Friday, and I just don't want it to be weird. Listen, okay? I don't know what you thought. I, I thought but... that I felt something from you. That's what I thought. I'm married. So first things first, I don't think Julia needs to explain herself to Ed anymore. If she wants, I mean, she did say, stop calling me, stop texting me, stop emailing me. Of course, after she said that to him, she kissed him. But he should leave her alone. Yeah, I do agree with that. But beyond that, I do think she's sending mixed signals. Mm -hmm. See above. Don't call me or text me. And then I kiss you. And then in this scene when he says, I thought I felt something from you. And she doesn't cop to that. That felt like denial and like her sort of implicitly saying, yeah, you were wrong. But he's not wrong. No. Also, though, Ed, take the hint. She just says, I'm married. Which is an interesting response because it's a fact, but it's not answering what he said, which is, I thought I felt something from you. I guess you could interpret that the opposite way, which is whether you felt something or not. Is irrelevant. Which me, I mean, which I think is true. I do think that's true. If she wants her marriage to work, which I think she does. Yeah. I think this episode is just Julia realizing I was really playing with fire in a way that I did not understand. Like, I think this whole episode is like, her realizing this is why I shouldn't have done any of this. And it, like, yeah. I think she was able to really trick herself into thinking a lot of what she was doing was innocent. And I think this episode, she's having to acknowledge that it wasn't. 
I was terrified at the beginning of her scene with Adam that she was going to completely lie about what happened. Mm. I thought she was going to portray it as all innocent. He kissed me out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. Luckily, she came around. So with Adam, she is willing to lay some cards on the table. It's not been going well between Joel and I. What's going on? There's this guy. No, 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 listen, listen. There's this guy who's a dad at the school and we're on the same volunteer committee. So, you know, we've been spending a bunch of time together at Mm -hmm. that and we've become friends and I did not intend for anything to happen, but we were talking the other day and, and he kissed me. He He just kissed you? Yeah. Look, this sort of thing happens. I mean, believe it or not, it it happened to me. This assistant we had at the luncheonette, Rachel, just kissed me, and I immediately told Christine about it, and we worked it out. It'll be fine. You didn't kiss her back? No, of course not. Okay. Julia. Good. Well, I don't... I don't know. Maybe this is... Maybe this is different. Do you have feelings for this guy? I don't know. No. Okay. It's just been so hard with Joel and I. We cannot get on the same page at all. Adam, he doesn't look at me. And so Ed just... He sees me, you okay. know? Yeah. Hey, Julia, yeah. listen to me, okay? Whatever is feeling good right now about Ed is just related to how bad things are feeling with Joel, all right? And it is not worth it. It's not about him. This is about you and Joel, and you got to focus on your marriage, okay? It's about you. It's about your family. It's not worth it, okay? you got to get this guy out of your life and forget about him. Figure your stuff out with Joel, okay? If you guys need to go talk to somebody, you can do it. Have you done that? We're talking about We're trying to. Okay. All right. You're going to be okay. All right? All right? You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. You're okay. All right? You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. It's all right. I thought Adam gave really good advice there. I thought so, too. This was a really good episode for Adam. The only thing I could have quarreled with him about was when he said she didn't do anything wrong. Oh. But I'm like, well, but he doesn't know all the information. True. She didn't tell him that. And also, I totally believe you might tell your freaked out baby sister that in the moment Mm -hmm. just to calm her down. Yeah. I mean, he said that, you know, when that happened to him, that he told his wife about it and then everything was fine. Maybe replacing, you know, you didn't do anything wrong with just get it out and tell Joel right away and get it, you know, get it out there would have been the better thing to say. That's true, because she really probably should tell Joel. Yeah. I was glad, though, that she came clean. Because like I said, when the scene started, I thought she was going to really spin what happened with Ed totally one way. Mm -hmm. So I was glad that she said, maybe it was not the same Mm -hmm. as when you did not kiss Rachel back. Yeah. I'm just glad that she told someone. Yeah. Honestly, because when you're alone with your own thoughts and feelings, they can start to feel so huge and insurmountable. 
And as Mr. Rogers said, <laughs> if it's mentionable, it's manageable. I agree that it was really important for her to be honest with someone else, but also with herself, because I think she was also fooling herself for a long time, you know? And yeah. So her speaking this out loud was really important. So at the auction at the school. Oh, my God. Little tidbit before we delve into the heavy stuff. I loved Sarah's exhibit. Oh, my of God. Her photography was all these artful animal <laughs> portraits. And, and then, then just Christina's headshot. <laughs> I agree. That was so delightful. It was such a, I was like, wow, the props department or set dressing or whoever does that, they got a chance to make a joke. That's awesome. I really only noticed that the second time, too. Like, it, it, yeah, it was so fun. When they walked in, Joel and Julia, to that auction, Joel saying, how many more years of this? Two more years of this? I thought just him griping about the school auction felt like a subtle but a really valuable detail. Because I'm like, Joel used to eat, breathe this kind of stuff. I mean, he hosted the auction in mm-hmm. season one. And I thought, oh, you can just tell. He's clearly in a funk right now, some kind of funk, and does not want to deal with this petty shit. And that felt so real. I didn't even put it together that that was the same auction from season one. I don't know that it's the exact same, but it seems like it. Yeah, no, I love that continuity. I think that's really cool. I really enjoyed Broody Joel. I thought that Broody Joel just, I called him Angel Joel, which is a Buffy reference, because he was just... (laughs) And his feelings and dark and just, I, I really enjoyed it. <clears throat> thought he did a good job in acting and just it worked with the, with the thing. But I also think that looking into Joel as, as a character, he knows something's going on. He knows, you know, like, like Melissa's talking about one of the things that she like dislikes the most and, you know, somebody is inability to reflect or whatever that is. But I think when I have that feeling that, everybody is in on something or I am being left out of something or I know something's going on, but everybody's kind of playing me for a fool, which is more like in my teens and twenties that I would feel that way more often. But that feeling is a horrible feeling. Like to be going to this thing that you don't want to go to and know that your wife is having some kind of inappropriate relationship at some level with this guy who is just like trying to be buddy, buddy with you. Totally get Joel. I I mean, I just totally got him this whole time. I don't know if I should have, but I, I really felt like I, I was on his side in here. I mean, I don't know that the way that things evolved or devolved, depending on how you look at it, really should have went that way. But I understood very clearly why they would. Because I feel like he's the only one that's looking at it in a realistic way. He sees what's going on and nobody will tell him what's going on. And so his wife is gaslighting him. Her buddy is gaslighting him. And he's just like, you fucking assholes. <laughs> I know what you're up to. Just come out with it. It's not going to go anywhere. You know, like, I mean, he's, he's got, he's on top of it and he's just being told he's wrong the whole time. And he's, he, from what I see in his relationship with her is that he's always expected to fix it. Like he had to be the one to, you know, I, I think this was actually from the last episode because Melissa had me watch the last one. You know, it's like things aren't going well. So he cooks breakfast or whatever for the kids and, and makes everything okay. I don't know. I, I think he's in a really unfair position, my take on it. And that Ed character is just gross. But anyway. Well, he shouldn't. Why is he at a child's function drunk? Yeah. 
is although I guess there aren't kids there, but still you're in a, you're in well, an elementary school. And Joel, I sober mean, sober up. Yeah, but to be fair, Joel was looking for the bar from the get go. <laughs> I mean, he's like, "Where's the bar?" Oh, yeah, <laughs> and he doesn't get to the bar because Julia sees Ed there and is like, uh, "Let's go do this instead." Joel clocks that, you know. Joel's not an idiot, yeah. like, and so right away, like. I think it would have been better if they had just gone to the bar and acted like seeing Ed was no big deal. But instead, she veers him away. You know, like she's just not handling anything well. But anyway. Yeah. And it's funny. I said in just the last podcast that Joel would never punch Ed. I was like, even if he walked in on them kissing, he wouldn't do that. But this came shockingly close. And maybe it's just TV and it's it's need for maximum drama. But I think just a shove would have sufficed. I mean, I realized that is what it was, but like not a shove to the ground. Do you think like, Ed just, just like, fell because he was so away. drunk? Maybe, but I was just like, it still painted Joel as a little more aggressive than I wanted him to be. Mm-hmm. I like the, you know, stay away from my wife, but it's like, I don't think Joel would want to make a scene like That's that. That's what got me. It was such a scene. Like, oh my God, yeah. everyone there. And also like, good job, Crosby. <laughs> Well, let let me interject here because I I do think there's a number of different things that happen there. First of all, Joel came over and very clearly said, she doesn't want to talk to you. Stop talking to her. Like, he addressed it and Ed kept pushing the envelope. And I think the point where I really identified with Joel and the anger that he felt and why he pushed him is that Ed is so disingenuous. He's like, hey, buddy. And he's talking to him. And Joel (laughs) clearly knows that he has a thing for his wife. He clearly, this is obvious. They are whispering in a corner at a student event. Like it makes total sense to me that that is the point where he would, you know, and, and Ed is not owning up to his behavior. He's not listening to Joel. He just keeps arguing with him and Joel just shoves his ass down. And it makes sense to me that Joel would put a little bit too much on it because he's just mad and he's been holding this in for however many months this has been going on. But also, he did. He cocked back, and Crosby keeps him from punching him, if I saw it right. Which I thought was very realistic, to be quite honest with you. Because when you're holding back something, and and when it finally blows, it just all goes. I mean, that's how I am anyway. It's just like, I I can hold back, and I I can kind of like pick my words and do it. But once the other person is showing that unwillingness to really understand my point of view, and just is pushing me to where I go, I just... It's over, you know, and there's, there is a lack of control. And I think Ed became the scapegoat. While it's not all Ed, Ed is a part of it. And Joel had a chance <laughs> to take aim at a physical problem in his life. And it just, it makes sense to me. I think, I think Joel can be many things at once. And I think Joel can be a really good person who just got pushed to his limits. And I totally under, and I don't, I didn't take it as he was being possessive of Julia at all. Like I, I didn't no, see that at all. It protective. was like, yeah. yeah, he was protective, but he knows something else is going on. If she was just being honest with him, it would have been a different exchange, but she's not being honest. And he, that frustration is playing. So I, that scene to me played out very, very well for me. I thought like, I, I thought like it was a good way of showing Joel as human because he's often kind of shown as being the super dad and he's a stay at home dad. And he's, you know, he's able to, I mean, talk about a romantic comedy lead. He's able to build a house and fix a leak and, and raise the kids and just do everything right. 
this is a glimpse into the darker side of Joel. And, and quite frankly, it was pretty relatable, I thought. I, I didn't see it as very toxic, but I'm sure that, that that is a very arguable point too. I also real quick wanted to mention that you said a line that drove you absolutely crazy was when Ed was like, hey, your wife's awesome. This guy. Oh, that guy. <laughs> He's the worst. He's the worst. I mean, like this type That's of... basically saying, I want to fuck your wife. In, in that kind of context. Like, yeah, he, he is that guy. It's just like, I, hey, I'm everybody's best friend, right? Oh, why is the world frowning on me? Why is, my, why is the whole school like mad at me? Because you, <laughs> you're a dirtbag. You're drunk at this thing. You've been trying to sleep with another parent. You have been the whole time, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, like... You, you pretend like you're a victim all the time, but you take your chances. You know, he, he kissed her when she was telling him not to be around her anymore. It wasn't that he was just finding... It's not just that he thought she was attracted to him. He is trying to keep the relationship going. Yeah. If he really respected her, he would just say, got it. This is where you are. We'll walk away. This is done. He is not on the spectrum. He is not taking things at face value. He is manipulating. It is different. So, and you said that exact same thing last time, Melissa, that if he respected her when she said, I need you to stop calling, emailing, it's not fair, he would say, okay, I hear you. Yeah. And instead, oh, and Mark, you watched last episode. Instead, he guilted her about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's just the- Cherry on top Cherry of- on top of the most awesome week. Even though I can have compassion for him that that would feel horrible, especially in the midst of your life falling apart. That's not her problem. Don't no. say that to her. No, and I, I mean, if, if I see this character the way I think is correct, I mean, in the back of my, his mind, he's like, well, this marriage has been falling apart for years and it's okay now because I'm going to hook up with Julia. And so that's where his disappointment lies. And that's a horrible, like, a, what a shitty person. <laughs> like, it's not. Yeah. Like, it, it's okay. And it doesn't matter if her marriage ends or whatever happens. And he showed that throughout. And I... I found that that scene where he was drunk like was really illuminating on his character, but also it was a pretty realistic scene. I mean, it just it seemed to me like everybody there would see Joel in a negative light, but us having this front row seat to what's actually happening, we kind of understood it in a different way, or I did anyway. So yeah, it was, it was I also scene. found it really interesting the way different emotions were interacting inside of Joel. You know, I felt like he was being protective of Julia. But I don't think he feels a lot of love towards Julia yeah. right now. No. Yeah. And yet in that moment, he's still going to go stand up for her mm-hmm. against this guy. Yeah. That it's like, okay, even though I'm pissed with you right now and I don't feel very affectionate towards <laughs> yeah. you, this slob is not going to harass you. And I will shove him to the ground if need be. And then I'll turn around and go, are you cheating on me? Well, yeah. that's the thing. Like, I <laughs> you know? feel like he may have felt like he was officiating a lover spat between his wife and her mister. You know, I mean, honestly, yeah. like that would be even more humiliating as if you're Joel to feel like you're trying to <laughs> break up this little spat between this guy that your wife's having an emotional or he doesn't know what kind of affair she's having. He doesn't know, but he knows she's doing something wrong yeah. and he's right. Yeah. He's not being jealous. I don't I don't yeah. see that. Jealous feels too simplified. I think he's right. angry and hurt and upset. And I totally got it when he was like, you have to tell me. And I was, everything inside of me was screaming, tell him. Like, just yeah. tell him the truth because I think the truth is not as bad as what is in Joel's head. I mean, it's bad, 
but I think it's not as bad. And I think if she, you know, her saying there's nothing going on, of course he's not going to believe that because all this evidence to the contrary, you know, like what he's just seen tonight is not the result of nothing. So if she just said, I messed up because I confided in him too much, I really thought we were friends, but I think somewhere along the line, things got a little muddled and he started to see me as more. And I don't think I ever saw him as more, but I think I was grateful that he saw me when you and I weren't getting along. And that's unfair. I shouldn't have done that. I asked him to stay away from me and he kissed me and I I didn't pull away as fast as I should have. And I feel terrible about it. Now, I'm not saying that would have been an easy thing to say no, at all. And maybe that would have spelled the end anyway. But I think they've got a hell of a lot of a better chance if she says that. Because he would believe that, I think. He'd be like, okay. But in his head, he's like, are you having an affair with Ed? I think he thinks they're like sneaking around sleeping together. So I think if, he just, if she just said what was happening, I think he might be able to be like, okay, well, that's not as bad as I thought. I think we can work through that. But her saying nothing's happening, he can't even trust her now. He can't. Ugh. But Which is exactly what he says. Yeah. And to be fair, he is a bit terrifying. I mean, he, you know, he is very angry. He's the most scary I've ever seen that character on the show. I mean, even though they're husband and wife and she trusts him, do you really want to tell him in this state? I mean, I, I don't think that would be my first... <laughs> option if I were her to say like yeah your eyes are like boring holes through the world and you just shoved the guy down in front of all of the you know in front of our our children's school officials like I'm gonna go ahead and tell you this like you're in a dangerous place so it makes sense to me that she would actually like subvert it but she's been subverting it the whole time so it's not like she had it on the tip of her tongue I don't think she's ever planned on telling him what's going on with Ed I don't think I don't think that has been on she's just trying to bury it and move on and that's just obviously not going to work. It's it's went too far. But I did kind of understand why she didn't say anything in that moment cuz he was he was on it, man. He was shooting lasers out of his eyes. He was angry. Oh. Yeah. Did you think she should tell him? Yes. At some cuz I feel like at some point she's going to have to tell him. I don't see them getting through this rough patch in their marriage without her revealing what actually happened with Ed. And so when he asks her point blank or tells her, if something is going on with Ed, you have to tell me for her to say there's nothing. I'm like, that's just a flat out lie. You just lied to your husband. I do understand why she might do that. But it's like, okay, maybe maybe you tell him, okay, there's a conversation we need to have. I would feel better if we sat down, if you calmed down (laughs) or something. And I also think I doubt this was in the forefront of her mind. Because this thing with Ed is happening in the much larger context of marital problems they're having, I can see her thinking, if I admit to this, it's just going to overshadow all the other issues and it's going to turn into, well, Julia was wrong and Joel was right and all the problems we've been having are because I messed up. When there's actually a, a whole host of issues that need to be addressed and there's plenty of blame to go around. Like I, like I said, I don't think she was calculating this in that moment, but I think it would feel like, so do we not ever address that I feel completely abandoned by you? Just because I went and made this friendship and it got totally out of hand. Yeah. My needs are never going to be brought up. And I think Julia really can't be wrong. 
you know, like... Yeah, her self-reflection and, and stuff is so fragile. I mean, is this a Braverman trait? Hugely. Yeah. Well, and again, Mark has been on for four episodes, and each one has centered on a different of the four Braverman siblings having a relationship issue. And I didn't we say, you and I, like, talking about it, that it seems like it's always the Braverman's fault. Like, yeah, you know, Crosby was the first one. Totally his fault. I mean, yeah. And then the next season was Adam. With Rachel. Yeah. And while Adam, I do think he's right when he tells Julia that he didn't kiss her back. Mm -hmm. He does overlook all the like things he does that led to Rachel kissing him. Yeah. And then season four, Sarah blowing up her relationship and refusing to acknowledge what she was doing. Yeah, that was certainly not Mark's fault. (laughs) Although I, I think I think that Hank also bears some blame, just like this this season, I think Ed bears some blame. But it's, yeah, I think it's yeah. Wow, how funny that you've always come on for these episodes, and it's never been Zeke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's because that's a hallmark of him too. Of just, well, I didn't do anything, and Zeke actually had a really good episode too. Yeah, so. he did pretty, pretty good. Yeah, well, Zeke's friend is played by Paul Dooley who is a prolific character actor. My favorite fun fact about him is that he is married to Winnie Holtzman, who was the creator of My So-Called Life, which Jason Kadams worked on, and that she is 26 years younger than him. I just found this out yesterday while I was looking up Paul Dooley. Oh, really? I hadn't known that before. Yeah, I believe he is now 94. Wow. They have been married since 1984. Wow. Good so it's been a long, yeah, long marriage. My favorite role of his was the dad on 16 Candles. I think he's wonderful in that. He makes me really happy. The character that Paul Dooley is playing is named Rocky. <laughs> Somebody knows his audience. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot of things that I looked up. <laughs> For instance... Zeke says he's a West Point grad. That's new information. And that he was special forces. Also new information. He says that he came out of Subic. Subic is Subic Bay Naval Base in the Philippines, Hmm. which began as a Spanish naval base and then was eventually taken over by the Americans. Rocky says that he was on the USS Sanctuary, which is a real hospital ship that served in the Navy in World War II and Vietnam. I thought I would have uncovered lots of inconsistencies with things like like I read one of them was on IMDb and they said, well, if Zeke went to West Point, he wouldn't have done basic training. Mm. Um, But he says previously that he had done basic training. And I'm like, oh, is that true? So I emailed Josh Cullen a whole bunch of questions. Oh, previous guest Josh who was in the. Yeah. He wrote back, but in that one, he said, yes, West Point cadets do basic training. They could do it anywhere, but Fort Benning is a common choice because that's where Zeke did his. And then he said, like, fifth special forces, like the special forces groups are designated to different geographic areas. First group's area of responsibility is Asia. I cannot imagine a person from fifth SFG going to Subic Bay. Maybe 50 years ago that might have happened for reasons I don't know, but that would never happen today. Hmm. They have their own area of responsibility, the Middle East and Horn of Africa. There is plenty going on in those regions that there would be no reason to send fifth to the Philippines. But maybe things were different several decades ago. And that was something I looked up and it specifically said that like Kennedy sent the fifth 
to Vietnam. So I'm like, okay, so this exception that Josh was leaving is indeed what happened. I think that's super interesting. Also, when he said that the... um, that his unit came out of Subic. I'm like, well, would an army unit be stationed at a naval base? And Josh said, as for army being at a naval base, it's not common, but definitely not out of the question. Army special forces can be deployed anywhere at any base for any reason. I don't find the fact army special forces were serving at Subic Bay to be unusual. I do find it strange that 5th Special Forces Group would be sending its troops to Subic Bay, considering their area of operations is the Middle East. And the first special forces group was already designated to cover the Asia region. I think That's it's interesting. Super cool. Yeah. Plus, it's a shout out from Josh. Yeah. Thank you, Josh, for answering those yeah. questions. Yeah. Quite thorough on everybody's part. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Love it. I didn't think about that at all. I was like, what a charming relationship between Zeke and Rocky. I, I really <laughs> enjoyed every interaction they had. I thought it was damn delightful. My biggest laugh from the whole episode came from this scene. What'll be, handsome? Well... Uh, yeah, I gotta have the BLT. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. As my man. The Alzheimer's man. No. No. Don't forget to eat it. <laughs> Beautiful delivery. Beautiful. Don't forget to eat it. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that was scripted or an improv. Uh, Either way, bravo. Yeah, that was that was top notch. Uh, everything that Paul Dooley said was hilarious. I thought, like it, <laughs> putts. <laughs> yeah, calling him a putz. <laughs> Insisting that the crossword was to stave off Alzheimer's was a really funny thing that he just kept. I don't know. I enjoyed that so much. Well, he did serve a little bit of a story purpose too, as evidenced in this final scene. So, uh, when did you lose her? Lose who? Your wife. Mine was in '99. I didn't lose my wife. My wife's not dead. What made you think that for crying out loud? (laughs) Sorry. I guess I just assumed. Assumed what? That you were a lonely heart's widower like me. Not a lonely heart's widower. My wife happens to be in Italy on a trip with her art class, and they're they're seeing museums and and, touching touching statues. statues. They're going all around (laughs) spending my money. That's what they're doing. I don't know what the hell they're doing over there. Sounds like you're a little perturbed about that. Well, I'm a little perturbed, yeah. I mean, it's been three weeks. I haven't had a, a good meal and don't have any clean underwear. I mean, come on, you know? And then she just told me uh, she wants to stay an extra week. I mean, God. <laughs> Typical army. Just can't see the forest for the trees. What the hell is that supposed to mean? <laughs> Most women our age are a pain in the ass. Many of just want to sit around playing cards or showing you pictures of their grandkids. They sit there yammering about my hearing aid this and my artificial hip that. <laughs> enough to drive you crazy. Well, you know, Camille isn't that way at all. I'd be thankful. I'm telling you, if my wife was still alive and she asked me to take a trip to Italy, I'd buy two first-class tickets and beat her ass to the airport. How casually he jokes about beating his wife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought about that too. Oh, man. I loved that. I really loved that whole storyline. I believed that Zeke would be focused in a conversation about how he hasn't had a good meal and he's out of clean underwear 
which made me so angry. Yeah, Caleb's rolling his eyes to the heavens. I'm like, I mean, when he's revealed he's special forces, I'm like, they didn't teach you how to clean clothes in your special forces? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I understand the idea. I think they have shown that Zeke is not incapable of feeding himself at all. He's just not as good a cook as Camille. I'm like, okay, that I mean. But in this episode, they're just show. I mean, since Camille went to Italy, he's just like squirting whipped cheese into his mouth and shit. Like, I mean, they're making him. I mean, what? Yeah, that's comical. Yeah. <laughs> Slash pathetic. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, it, I I don't understand. But then I'm like, maybe that is realistic for that age group of man. I mean, I I think. Th- People do talk about that. I think we've mentioned on this show that like men yeah. are more likely to remarry after their wives die if, for just that reason. But like, I hated that it made it seem like that's what he missed most about Camille rather than her company. And I loved what Rocky said to sort of like recontextualize that. And I believed it. I'm like, if a guy has been missing his wife since 1999... And yeah. is like, you have the sort of wife who wants to jet off to Italy at her age rather than talk about her ailments, you know, you should really appreciate that more. And I, I think that was something Zeke needed to hear. Yeah, I think this episode for me, and I, I'm sure every episode is to a certain degree, but I thought that every single storyline highlighted the importance of just the interconnectivity between humans and being able to connect with somebody in your life. And it's interesting, every single one of these these storylines, really that was at the heart of it, right? It, at some level or another, especially when you think of Hank um, and Max and that importance and, and just those things. But this one I thought, and I did watch the, the episode before this where What's-Her-Name's fiance couldn't, connect anymore and Zeke is the only person that he can talk to and then you have moving into this episode where Zeke (laughs) is not connecting very well with the real world and then he finds somebody that kind of helps him anchor him down and show him hey you you're doing okay you know it could be much much worse and I thought that was I mean it just by chance I watched the last episode so I wouldn't have known this before but I really like that continuity and and I think coming out of I think we're coming out of the pandemic, at least coming into a place where we're talking with people and connecting with people in person again and seeing a lot of people I haven't seen in a long time in person and doing these things. Like this episode jumped out to me as like a little prophetic, not only because of Zeke's Zoom call with his wife where he's just in his boxers, (laughs) but also just it just really underscored how these little connections we make. And I remember hearing about this, like the the death of, uh, I can't remember the name of um, the type of relationships, but the pandemic ended a lot of like, is it topical relationships oh, or whatever? Oh yeah, I can't that, remember the name, but like second tier, like kind of secondary, secondary. Like Zeke and the guy at the cafe, like these things where we just talk to people and have these little connections and how we understood the importance of those things outside of our family and everything, like because we were losing those, just like not being able to go to the post office or to the wherever and and talk to people in line and things like that. Or we were just less likely to talk to people online. We were farther apart from them or we were masked and it was too hard to talk and just how the death of those kind of interactions affected our daily lives. And I, I just really thought this was interesting being so far away from the pandemic and it really connected with me all these stories and and especially Zeke's because I thought Zeke he's the one that really benefited the most from one of these type of like just a chance kind of encounter and it it changed 
the trajectory maybe of his relationship, quite honestly. I mean, because I think yeah. that every episode I've seen, it's about Zeke. It's all about Zeke. And she is just increasingly like, I'm over you <laughs> and this bullshit. And she's not afraid to walk away from him. I mean, she's not afraid to let him sit in his feelings. And so, you know, his ability to really like to listen to this guy and find that and see that point of view. And it took him long enough, but he did it. It really, I think it was good, you know, and it was good to see too. I, I don't know. I, I just, I thought it was really interesting <laughs> given the place we're in and being able to connect something that aired in 2014 or whenever it was, you know, to the now. Um, and just the distinct feeling that I'm having coming out of a pandemic that nobody saw coming at the time. So, yeah. My one little beef with what Rocky said was that the way Zeke told him about Italy, it was never revealed that Zeke could have gone. Yeah. But I was like, well, whatever. And and maybe that's not even what Rocky meant by if my wife offered me. I think it's maybe just the fact that Camille was anywhere. Like, you know, you said, like, you have a wife that wants to go jetting off to Italy with or without you. I would buy that Rocky might say the exact same thing. Yeah. And I'm really glad that Rocky or Zeke's conscience or both were loud enough for him to change that email to Camille at the end because I found myself imagining the fallout if Zeke had sent that first email asking her to come home. And I thought, Camille's in Italy without Zeke's permission to begin with. Yeah. So I think she might have stayed the extra week anyway, even if he said no. And I feel like maybe Zeke knew that. (laughs) And I thought, you know, you could say, well, then why did Camille even ask? Because that's the courteous thing to do. And I feel like perhaps she's trying to teach him that a spouse should want for the other spouse to get what they want. And like there are limits, of course, and and that's where trust and respect factor in. But I feel like the baseline ought to be I want what you want and you want what I want. But I think for too many of their years together, Zeke truly only wants Camille to get what she wants if it doesn't interfere with his satisfaction at all. Yeah. So I think even her asking for his permission when she has no intention of heeding it is maybe just like training wheels of like, okay, Zeke, do you know the appropriate (laughs) response in this situation? And even even if he wants her to come back, I think she would come back if he had a better explanation than just, ah, I think it's time. If there was an actual concern or something, I think she would hear him. And if she saw his point of view, she'd come back. But it can't just be. I'm out of well, clean underwear. Me. I'm out of clean underwear. I am not coming back a week early for that. But isn't that a reflection on her growth versus his growth? I mean, at the age they are, it, you know, in the, the age they yeah. are. And she when she He's leaves, stunted. she leaves. She wants to stay another week. She's in Italy. She can't speak the language. She's in a completely strange land. And she wants to stay another week. She leaves and he can't meet his own basic needs. Yeah. Obviously, if he's a man who can't meet his basic needs at his age 70 or however old he is. He's probably lacking self-reflection anyway. But any time is a good time to start. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and I also think when the, the guy at the diner, Rocky... I mean, I think he read Zeke pretty well. Just the very, like, they did a lot with a little in those scenes. And I think him just calling him an army man and having kind of stereotypes for him, I think that he had a very 
deep understanding of what he sees as an army man, right? And and so when he would say things like that, it was kind of like, well, I've talked to a lot of you guys, and this is kind of how you handle your lives, so this is probably what you are. <laughs> you know, and so I think he was just reading between the lines that Zeke probably was invited, and <laughs> he didn't go because he was holding his breath like a little baby because <laughs> he can't see the forest for the trees, as, as Rocky said, so... And, you know, I think it's interesting because technically, I guess, Zeke wasn't invited. That's how he presents it to Adam. But I think the only reason is because of his whole attitude about refusing to sell the house and Camille saying, I want to travel. I want more. And Zeke's like, well, I don't. I, I have everything I want. I've seen the world. I'm done. So I think it makes sense that she's not like, hey, great opportunity for us to travel. You know, I think it makes sense that she's like, look. I'm doing it. You may not be interested in it, but I am. And so... Oh, I just meant Rocky didn't know Right, that. I, right, I, no. I know we knew that he could have gone on the trip. Yeah, but I mean, I guess I'm questioning, could he? You know, because Zeke is under the impression he's not invited. And so I'm wondering, is that just more of his bad attitude, like interpreting this as... I, because if he had said... Well, Camille, that's an awesome opportunity. Would I be stunting it if I came with you? Like, is this something you just want to do with your group? Or would it be cool for me to come? What do you think she would have said? I'm genuinely asking. Uh, Yeah, I think she would have. She would have been like, great. I wanted you to travel with me in the first place. Yeah, Yeah. so it makes me think that Zeke was being like a big baby when he's like, you know why I didn't go? I wasn't invited. Like, oh yeah, you know what I mean? Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Because at the time, I remember saying... Well, he's technically right. But yeah, you're right. He was presenting it in the most favorable way for himself. Yeah. Which is shocking. For that a was braver that man. was still technically true. Yeah. So shocking from a braver man. And, you know, <laughs> exactly. Well, and also she says in the conversation that they have, you would love this so much. I mean, yeah. I don't think she would say that if she had said you can't go. Like that would just be salt in the wound. Yeah. To be like, oh, you would. I would love you to be here with me on this. That would just be really disingenuous and, and rude. But from what I've seen of the show, too, this art class is just really Zeke's, like, worst nightmare, isn't it? I mean, and, and you know... She did sleep with her teacher. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, this art class is her freedom. What this she is, didn't and, tell him is that Matthew is the one taking them all over Italy. I, <laughs> that would be funny. Well, if I just, I love that, that it just seems like a recurring theme is her keeping a hold of this art class and Zeke refusing to kind of give her that autonomy like he he wants to take it away from her and she will not let it go and it just seems like a little bit metaphorical for her freedom versus his maybe his like literal you know his he's so literal and we've even talked about i think about him being on spectrum or something like that you know like or or something is, is it is it kind of a metaphor for that you know of, of their differences and what they adhere to and ultimately what he's adhering to is just a lost cause like he's not going to be able to hold on to that forever she's going to do what she wants to do eventually i don't know yeah. but it seems it's just funny having watched as few episodes as i had this art class and Zeke, yeah. just do not jive. One of the most powerful lines that I think you might not have seen was when she's telling him about wanting to travel. She says, you know, I've been painting this backyard for 40 years. I kind of like to paint something else. Yeah. I thought, wow, that's a very uh, powerful way to make that point. Yeah. And do you think Zeke hears that as like, <laughs> I want to sleep with other people? Because <laughs> I could, you know... <laughs> I. You know, I would say I don't think he does, but I realize the answer I'm giving is, I don't hear that. (laughs) Exactly. I don't hear that either, but I'm thinking... I, what I consider a reasonable person, I don't hear that. So how could he? Uh, He might. But everything is filtered. But I don't think that's his concern. I think he just doesn't want to do it. Yeah. 
Yeah, he wants. I think he's just a stick in the mud. He's he wants and it I his think way. Yeah. The lesson he's learning is like you have to consider someone else's feelings as well. Maybe that's not how you would imagine spending your third act traveling around the world. But your wife would like to. You can either be part of it or you can be left behind. I think he's learning how left behind feels. Yeah, he is. And good for her. Yeah, absolutely. Quick side note before we move on. I keep in the back of my head thinking of Camille saying third act and we keep talking about third act. And then I keep juxtaposing that with the latest scream where the killer like shoots someone and is like, welcome to act three. And I just, <laughs> I think how interesting the way that a third act can be this lovely metaphor for the last third of your life. Or it can be like, now we're into the part of the movie where everyone gets murdered. Okay. Anyway, that was <laughs> random. Speaking of getting murdered. I think I maybe really don't care for Natalie. Oh no! I'm That's just a funny I don't want her. I don't want her to be murdered. But I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think maybe she's not a gem. <laughs> I feel like she was displaying some toxic behavior. Like I kept thinking about like toxic masculinity. Like if she were a male character yeah. and a guy were jealous, he'd be all possessive and territorial in like a thuggish aggressive way like masculine traits but deployed in a toxic way yeah and like oh she's just she's just not using those traits but she's undermining them and using the body language and passive aggression in the same sort of way and everyone i feel like knew exactly what she was doing and i think she even knew everyone knew what she was doing that's why she did it like hey if i drape myself over drew's lap Amy will get the message that you better not come back for him. It wildly backfired. (laughs) I don't don't think there's anything she could have done in that situation other than in the previous episode, agree to the terms that Drew was putting forward. And I think, honestly, I think I I like the character of Natalie in a way. I I didn't agree with her behavior, but I think for 20 somethings, it makes total sense. I mean, I think this is how we we learn through these things. You know, she, I think she was learning that maybe who she thought she was in relationships wasn't who she actually is, that she actually had feelings about him, but she, I just feel like she didn't think that he was going to find somebody else because he's a sweet guy and he's just, you know, and he'll just be around for her while she does her own thing, which is selfish, but it's not awful. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's something that happens quite often in early relationships, I think. And I think that we learn through loss, you know, and I think maybe that that character, had she been a real person, would be like, I did have a chance because if it, uh, Melissa and I talked about this, if she would have just agreed to the terms of it, then he would be dating somebody else. And he's an upright guy. He may have had feelings for his ex, but he wasn't going to act on them because he would have been with her. Yeah. And yeah. He would have the end of it. He would have been like, Oh, Hey Amy, mm. it's great to see you. This is my girlfriend, Natalie. And then nothing would right. have happened. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Guess Natalie's just getting a taste of her medicine like Zeke is. Oh, that's... I was going to say, Natalie was very Braverman. And um, <laughs> the, what's the, the kid's name? The... Drew. Drew. And Drew was not. I mean, Drew was very much like, he never badmouthed her. He was always very, like, as honest as he could be. Like, because I don't think he understands where she's coming from. So when, like, she drunk, he's like, she's kind of known for these drunken droppings ins or whatever. He's not saying anything bad about her. He's just saying what he knows. And he doesn't understand it to be able to talk about it. So he's just like, I don't know. It's just something she does, I guess. And it's yeah. true. It's true. It's not, it's not a denial. 
I really enjoyed this little this little side <laughs> story of these two and or these three and and the way it went. I thought it was kind of fun and it told a fun story, and captured a piece of of youth that <laughs> I it reminded me of some things just in youth and and I was able to reflect with some forgiveness both for myself and other people that I may have dated or or been around you know just like because we're just trying to figure things out we're just kids just trying to see what happens you know like what's gonna happen. Yeah. So. I feel like I should also clarify, since I compared Natalie to Zeke, only their situations. I think Zeke's medicine, he's tasting it because of a character flaw of his. And Natalie, I think, is sort of just circumstantial. Like, mm-hmm. it's just timing. Like, she and Drew just decided, okay, we're not going to really be exclusive for sure. And we're not going to have any kind of friends with benefits situation, just friends. And then the second they make that decision, someone who is much more than a friend shows up right in front of Drew, right under her nose, and provokes a feeling in her that would sting if if it makes her realize, oh, I, I really am invested in him maybe more than just friends. So I just want to make that clear. It was It's not a direct parallel. I think in the past, I was really annoyed with Natalie. And I don't know why I wasn't as much this time because I agree with everything you said, Caleb. Like, I think that her behavior is pretty toxic and, and not good. I thought she was downright rude to Amy at times. Like when she was like, are you leaving today? Have a good trip. You know, like, I was <laughs> like, it's pretty bitchy though. And I just said, don't call people bitchy. <laughs> Uh, I'm, you know what? We're, well, if the term fits. <laughs> we're all learning, I guess. But no, I just really thought that this time it almost struck me as funny to us, the audience, if not necessarily. But it was also kind of funny to Drew and Amy, I think. And not in a... I got to say, I thought Amy was handling it with a great sense of humor. She was. Like when she was like, well, your friend Natalie, you know, like, oh gosh, you know. And I think... She just maybe understood Natalie in a way because she's kind of taken Drew for granted in the past. That was her whole speech to him in this episode was, you are really great and I didn't always see it. And, you know, I I think, yeah, it was really great that she just sort of was fine when Natalie was hanging out with them and then... You know, it makes sense that they sort of got together at the end because she knew what she wanted. And Natalie... I, wouldn't, I don't even want to say that Natalie didn't know what she wanted because I think maybe what Natalie wanted changed. You know, I think maybe she thought she wanted to, you know, be young and free. And maybe she thought her feelings for Drew were not any stronger than for anyone else. And, yeah, then... That's what I interpreted it as. It wasn't even necessarily that her feelings changed, but the, like, depth of them was discovered. Like, she knew she liked Drew. Yeah. But I think she didn't think that she had, like fallen for him and in this episode i felt like she was realizing maybe i actually do like really not just like sleeping with him and playing scrabble with him but like have some deeper feelings than i thought well and just the fact that she's in the show at all on this episode shows that because she said let's just be friends but when she stopped by it was late at night and she was drunk right yeah true yeah maybe they're gonna play scrabble maybe they're gonna play scrabble but i I think (laughs) probably what it's saying is what she put forward she never really was like 
committed to that. She just didn't want to commit to his terms, which is completely fine. I, I think that I thought that that scene was fantastic in the previous episode where she's just like, you know, maybe not. I thought it was a very civil conversation. I think he was honest in what he wanted and she was honest in what she wanted. And I thought it was a very consent based topic. I thought it was very good. But then the moment she pops in late at night, obviously, maybe she was looking more at what she wanted as far as freedom than what she wanted in the relationship with him. And maybe she thought she could have them both or he couldn't, you know, nobody else is hooking up with him. So why worry about it right now or whatever? I did wonder, and I mentioned this to Mark. I was like, do you think that Drew should have told Amy? Because he just is like, yeah, not my girlfriend, which is true. But do you think he should have been like, well, we kind of had a thing or, but I said that to Mark and Mark's like, I'm pretty sure Amy can tell. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure she knows well, that something happened, and I, you know? I think they were pretty explicit. And I mean, I because they agreed that they weren't, the plan was not to sleep together anymore and just be friends. I think he's off the hook. I don't think he, you know, that's not anybody's business after that. If they were still going to have that relationship, then I think it, it is up to him to tell her that, that this is our relationship. But as far as he knows up until that point, they're just friends. And, and yeah. the sexual part is not part of it or the emotional part. So I, I think it's a pretty, I, I liked how clear cut everything was. And I didn't feel like there was a bad guy in this. I thought it was just like kind of people and characters interacting with, the situation that they were put in. And I didn't think that there were any kind of horrible or ulterior motives. I think it was just kind of awkward and different people handled different awkward things differently, you know? Yeah. And also given the nature of his relationship with Amy, she's just there for a, a visit. It's not like they're going to get back together. If they were going to like begin dating again, then I might say, okay, maybe tell her that you were sleeping with this woman and that you had feelings for her. And, but she didn't like, then I don't know. Yeah. Maybe then it's even less appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> well, although now I'm wondering. Here's who I just liked <laughs> before you. Yeah. But now that Amy and Drew did sleep together and Amy is saying she doesn't want to go back, are they dating? Like, you know, like at the end of this episode, what is there? Well, I think given what we know from this episode, yeah. no. No. Okay. Okay. When Amy is in the bathroom and she tells, uh, what's her name? What's her girl? Natalie. Natalie. When she tells Natalie, feel better. What was that? Well, she they said she was so wasted. So maybe she's just assuming she has like a hangover now. But maybe on a different level, it meant like be better. I don't know. Yeah, I just, it, it was like, it was kind of an interesting statement. And I was like, did I miss something? Or is it just, I mean, it wasn't a mean statement, I didn't think. I thought it was kind of like a... I don't really like you very much. You haven't been very nice to me. <laughs> you know? I mean, I felt like it was some mean girls mind tricks. No. Yeah. They yeah. did have an like, interesting both, dynamic. Yeah, like they but like cuz nothing that either one of them said to the other meant what the words meant. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. Have a good trip. Today, have a good trip. Just get the fuck out of here. Feel better. You're a fucking mess. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, okay. I see that. Yeah. Good point. Uh, now, Melissa, I wanted to ask you about Amy's last scene with Drew, maybe not her very last one, but I know the last time we spoke, mm -hmm. you specifically said that you liked how things ended with Amy. Yeah. So I'm curious, what did you make of her take on how things ended? I missed you, Drew. Yeah. And I was thinking about it tonight. Just uh, watching you with all your friends and you're just such an amazing guy, and I always have so much fun with you. 
I feel really horrible about the way things ended between us. Yeah, it was bad. You know, I... I get it, though. I do. I'm really sorry, Drew. You were there for me, and... It's taken me a ridiculously long time to figure that out, but I have now. And I wish I could take it all back. Have a do-over, but... I can't, so... Will you forgive me? Yeah. Yeah. I forgive you. All right. I have lots of thoughts. Great. Great. <laughs> so... When I say I like how things ended between them, I mean that very last scene between them in the season four finale. Like, I think it's on her front porch and they say that they're going to school in different places and they kind of thank each other for what they meant to each other. And I really loved that. Like, they sort of understood this was an important first relationship for both of us, but it was part of our adolescence and it's not going to be part of who we are in the future. And so her coming back, I almost am like, ah, you know, it almost undermines what I thought was a lovely sort of ending to that. I think what she's referring to is not that conversation, but how she acted after she got the abortion, which was sort of pushing him away when he wanted to be there for her. And I sort of wish that instead of him saying, yeah, I forgive you, I wish he'd kind of said, there's nothing to forgive because Everyone handles trauma differently, and I don't think she was ever cruel to him or anything. She just didn't want to be with him after the abortion. It just sort of changed how she felt. And I think her coming back and saying this now makes sense because she's not... I feel like she's she's processed it now, and she's not feeling the trauma from that anymore, or at least not as deeply. And maybe what lingers is not the feeling she had about the abortion, but remembering how good Drew was to her in that moment. But I don't know. I, I, I just, I keep comparing it to the show that I just saw, and I mentioned it last time, Normal People. And I remember there was a scene where the male character, um, Connell, asks the female character, Marianne, to forgive him for how he treated her in episodes past. And that made me nearly cry because he really needed to be forgiven. He behaved terribly and really hurt her. And she knew it and he knew it. And when she does forgive him and he almost cries at it, and I did cry, <laughs> it was really beautiful. And this, I thought, this is different. You didn't hurt, I mean, you did hurt him, but like. Not maliciously. Not malicious. Yeah, it wasn't. She. I feel like she should have been allowed to process having an abortion <laughs> however she needed to. And while I don't blame her for saying, do you forgive me? And I don't really blame, you know, <laughs> it's fine that Drew right. was like, I forgive you, you know. But I, I think it sort of bugged me that it was presented as something she needed to be forgiven for because I thought, you know what I mean? I don't me know if that makes sense. Me too, because I, yeah, I just liked the idea of her feeling like she did anything wrong. Yeah. If it's her just expressing regret. Yes, that feels different. Then I'm kind of, oh, fine. Like, if it's like, I wish I was in a place where I could have handled that differently. Yeah. But I wasn't. And that's too bad. Yeah. Then I'm fine with it. But she had bigger concerns at that moment. And I don't think she was ever cruel no, to Drew. No, no. And then even then, I felt like that final scene you mentioned in the season four finale, I feel like that did a lot to put them at peace. Yeah. Right after it. And I felt like, you know, if Amy wants to apologize for some reason, go ahead. But 
I certainly didn't feel like Drew was owed an apology. No, I didn't either. And I don't think he would say he was either. No. I don't think he ever judged her for her reaction. I think it just hurt him. But again, not that she hurt him deliberately. It's that the circumstances hurt An him. An unfortunate side to, effect of what happened. Yeah. yeah. And I think he understood that. I felt like they're oddly very adult about everything. Yeah, they really are. I, I think also, I mean, it's a shared trauma. And and I'm not saying it's equally shared, but it is hard to discern if anybody owes anything to anybody in a situation like that. But I think if you're going to look at the autonomy of the character, then what she sees as needing to be the apology needs to be the apology. It's Mm. not necessarily that there's some cosmic apology that needs to be given to the man or the the woman or whatever. Somebody's owed something. It's an apology is I feel like I wronged you here, whether I'm wrong or not. This is what I feel. Yeah. And I also feel like he is not, he holds no ill will toward her. I mean, no. the minute she comes mm-hmm. in, he takes her out with his friends. He's very kind to her. You can, it is very clear that he is not hesitating in any way whatsoever. Like there is nothing there that's, I mean, look at Joel and Julia. Look at that relationship <laughs> and all those things that are built in compared to this one. This is a very open situation, you know, and, and I think if she feels like she needs to give an apology, he needs to accept it. I like that. That makes um, sense. I think yeah. that if he would have said, but you don't owe me one, that actually would have taken some of her autonomy away, quite honestly. That's a good point. I hadn't thought because of it Because it's that not way. like the there's another character telling her to apologize. This is her reflection, being away from everything, understanding what yeah. what happened and what she saw is the problem. I don't think as a viewership we should say like, and it doesn't seem like a storyline where people would be team her or team him. I don't think so. It seems like most people are like, this is a really unfortunate thing for kids to have to go through. And I think people can relate to it. And, you know, and so um, hopefully it's, it's one of those things where sometimes you just, you, you feel like you need to be heard and that's what she needed him to hear. And he heard her Uh, to his credit. He's very good at that. So yeah you know it's it's funny my investment in them as a couple in the past was just like minimal very minimal me too and i'm finding them much more interesting this time around me too because they handle things generally so intelligently i mean emotionally intelligent intellectually and they're very respectful with each other and clear with each other and maybe that's why I found them boring in the past. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, also. Like, why aren't they Why aren't they messing this up at every turn like all of the adults do? <laughs> I, I do want to, after listening to that conversation, yes, he did mislead her a little bit about his relationship with Natalie. I still don't know that it is her place to ask him about that, like regardless of what's going on, but. If she feels like it is, she could be more direct and just say, are you guys sleeping together? Because if you are, I just don't feel comfortable moving forward. I mean, if that's her personal choice and she doesn't, she's kind of just asking like, what's going on there? He seems like, and he's just like, we're just friends, which he's using the present tense. So he's completely telling the truth in that moment. And he may be thinking, I mean, if I put myself in his shoes, he may be thinking like, you've been gone. We haven't been together. I do not need to tell you this. And you mentioned flipping gender roles. If we flip gender roles on this, it would come across differently. I feel like it would be like him prying into her business and, Mm. and kind of like, 
and she, it's like, well, she's allowed to yeah. date whoever she wants. You just dropping in as a friend. And even if this moment seems to be leading to something else and you need to distinctly talk about this moment, well, we might sleep together right now. And I don't want to sleep with you if you're in this relationship with this person because I can't deal with the baggage or whatever it is. Yeah. But that's not the conversation they had. It was just like, why is she so clingy to you? And he's like, we're friends. It's true. You know? So just to read between the lines there. And whatever so. he says, like double for sure or really, whatever. Really? Yeah. I thought it was funny because it was like, boy, it was like he wasn't telling her, boy, Amy, I have tried <laughs> to make us be something more yeah. than just friends. And it has been made abundantly clear to me exactly what we are. And it is nothing more than friends now. There is a, there's some depth to that conversation. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a lot going on there and knowing what happened in the episode before it does help with the context. I guess I just don't see what the harm would be when he's about to sleep with Amy and she's like checking like, well, is there anything, you know, kind of like, I guess I'm just like, what would be the harm in just being honest and saying, well, we had kind of a friends with benefits thing, but she and I just didn't agree on what we wanted. And honestly, now we're just friends. And here you are. You're much more in line with my way of seeing relationships. But and if that were you, would you say all that? I don't know that I would. I mean, I like... Know. Well, and here's the conversation you know, like, I think if, he should have. If he and Natalie are no longer friends with benefits, just friends, I think he should tell her, Natalie, you are not allowed to spread my legs and lean into me <laughs> ever. Because we're just friends. Because we're just friends. So you can't be physically flirty with me. I think he told her that without telling To make her this woman jealous. Yeah. I mean, he didn't respond to it. I think he was a little bit frozen in the moment because he was under the understanding they were in something else. But I think like... A ta- Get off me. <laughs> but talking about what the characters should say to one another as characters, I get what you're saying, Melissa. Like, I, I think that that would be fine... As a char- from a character standpoint, a screenwriting standpoint, and things like that. But from a real-life standpoint, who thinks of that? Like, yeah. if I'm putting myself in his shoes, it's like, this is... The last time I saw this person was emotionally devastating. Yeah. We haven't talked to each other this whole time, and she's trying to, like, pry into my personal life. Like, no. You know what I mean? Like, there's a little bit of a boundary that has to come up there, too. So I, I don't know that that would be on the forefront of my mind to eloquently explain what the nature of my relationship, that is none of her business, quite honestly, even if they are about to hook up, unless it's just inherently known, but they're not dating. So it's, it's really true. not. I guess I just think like... And I mean, I would agree with this if it were flipped gender-wise, and yeah. I think it would be a little bit different of a conversation, but... Maybe so. I just, I know that anytime I was about to be with someone, they already knew my like history and so I think I'm approaching it from that perspective I don't think I've ever made it seem like I hadn't slept with someone that I'd slept with if that makes sense and I I don't know you could look at practical things like are they about to use a condom I hope so um did he always use one with Natalie like I don't know I think we know about the condom situation with her getting pregnant yeah I think they would be (laughs) yeah extra double sure yeah they probably would be awfully careful good point and you know i think this is an interesting line of thought like to what degree do we owe people information about ourselves well and i think it's you know, great that past. your policy would be to have that conversation but i don't know that it's necessary in the grand scheme of things to have that conversation either mm-hmm. yeah. you know i mean i think that you can in the moment have a protected and responsible sexual relationship with somebody without disclosing all these things that, you know, are personal. 
That's true. That is personal. Well, and like you said, Mark, there's lots of clues on display for Amy to notice. If she wants to. That would make her wonder. And she's still so hanging either out with she him. could infer, or like you said, if she wants to flat out ask, I agree it maybe is not her business, but if it's important to her, mm-hmm. she can ask. And then I, I don't imagine Drew would lie to her. Yeah. I don't think he would. And I th- and then she would know, but she doesn't. Ask. And I also think, honestly, that the way that that was handled was pretty realistic. I think her probing, <clears throat> but not directly asking, actually makes a lot more sense. That She doesn't really yeah. want it. I mean, she doesn't want to get into that conversation, right? She's nosy. <laughs> like She's like, what's going on with you two? But really, that's not what her objective is. She's... Loves and it's probably out of respect. Like, I think she yeah. probably realizes this is not, I, I, I'm here just for a little while. Yes. I, I think that she has her. You know, I have no claim of yeah. fidelity to you. I think she's kind of know. like poking at him a little bit and trying to figure it out. But then kind of he's like, well, you know, and, and yeah. she respects that. And I, so I actually think it's a pretty good conversation. But yes, he is. I will say he is misleading to a certain extent in that conversation. So. But you bring up a good point that maybe that's his right. Like, that's that's super interesting. I don't know. And just because I would do, like, Caleb, like, when your answer to the question <laughs> earlier was like, oh, I answered that because that's what I think. I, I, kind of the same thing. Just, what I would do is not necessarily the only right way to handle something, <laughs> shockingly. And it's not a wrong way. <laughs> it's not a wrong way. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't. It doesn't indicate that he has dubious intentions by not doing that. I think I, yeah, that's really I what I <clears throat> want to point out here. And, and we're seeing um, several characters in these storylines that maybe did at some point have dubious intentions, you know, and, and aren't telling the whole story. And so to line up Drew's conversation here with those things and how they how honest they are comparatively is, is interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, as I said to Mark while we were watching it, I think Drew might be the best guy on the show <laughs> like as far as, i mean one of them at least he's very sensitive and caring and and adorable <laughs> very cute he is adorable he is yeah well here's my last note on this episode where's amber i know oh my god i mean <laughs> it just seems like an odd episode to leave her out of given the events of the previous episode yeah but we know that oftentimes actors on this show are not in Every single episode. there are four million so characters. so many of yeah. them. And maybe the show is like, things have gotten so intense with Amber and Ryan. Let's give everyone a little, a little breather. Wow. But I noticed it more. Even Camille, when I was like, where's Camille? How long is this trip? I think also because I she had said four weeks. But she left at the end of 507, mm. I believe. And now we're on 511. Like, well, that's four episodes but in this one, she says she's in her final week. She wants to extend another week. I'm like, okay, I guess. I guess it lines up. We're allotting each one of these things. And like some of them, like election day, that episode took place over the course of like 48 hours. Yeah. So I guess it made sense. But the, in terms of the air dates, we've had a whole break from Christmas and everything. We're in a new calendar year now. It's just like, how long is this trip? <laughs> But anyway, but then she's still there. She is in this episode. Camille's in this episode. Yeah. Barely. And it's not in the flesh. But I noticed Amber's absence. Yeah, I did too. I really want to know what happens with her and Ryan. But, all right. Yeah. We had to wait a week. I guess we'll just wait one more. Yeah. I was thinking about what Max said in his apology to Hank about the difference between a promise and a lie, especially since this episode was called Promises. 
I'm talking about theme for the whole thing. Though, okay. Because you're wondering, like, why did we just go to a different storyline? But I think the difference between a promise and a lie in Hank's case is that when Hank promised he would develop Max's pictures on a certain day, he genuinely meant it. Yeah. A lie would be saying, we'll develop your pictures when you know that, you that you're not going to do that. I agree. Or saying, there's nothing going on between Ed and I. Yeah, that's a lie. Well, and that's the thing. And then I, when I applied the same principle to Joel and Julia, like Julia presumably promising to be faithful and honest to Joel... I think she intends to be that, but then it was all just, that was way less comforting to me. Mm. <laughs> of like, well, you intended to do that and then you didn't. Yeah. Well, if suddenly I don't care that she intended to do those things. I'm just mad that she didn't. You remember way back, by the way, in season two, when almost out of nowhere, it's when Crosby cheats on Jasmine, Joel tells Julia, I will never cheat on you. Mm-hmm. And and she, she, it's like almost surprising because she wasn't thinking he was going to and they've been married and they made such vows to each other. But like for him to just say, I will never cheat on you. I sort of keep thinking about that as <laughs> Julia was like sort of emotionally cheating. She returned the kiss too. She did. She did. Do you think that Joel's going to, he gives her the keys and sends her home and he's going to go spend the night with Pete? No. But oh, okay. did, did you? Did you think that was what was going to happen? No. No. I thought that it was just another way of showing Joel's character that he made sure she was safe to drive home so he could storm off into the night. <laughs> just right. Like, like, he's like, are you okay? Okay, I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> like, man, this guy. Yeah. This guy. <laughs> Even when he's mad and he's like kind of being thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I don't think he wants to sleep with anybody. I probably including Julia right now, you know, (laughs) I think he is understandably furious. And I think he honestly, I might be wrong, but I think he would have been less furious if she would have told him what was going on. Cause I think he then would have known what to be furious about. But now I think he's just furious that he can't trust his wife, which I think is worse than being mad at her for a specific thing. Well, and I think he knows, he knows what's going on and he feels everything spiraling out of his hands. And that's a horrible feeling. Yeah. It is. Well, and he, the, here, so here's a term I didn't learn until like a year or two ago, but I think he feels like a cuck. Oh, yeah. That's mm. very Shakespearean. Yeah. Oh, is it's it? It's lots of Because I feel like now it's a big thing it's, in like right wing. It's a political thing. Something. Or, yeah, yeah. But what it actually is, is a, a man whose wife is unfaithful. And, and earlier, Melissa, something you were saying about like, oh, I don't know that he's jealous per se. I think you're right. It, and Mark, you said like he feels like there's information that is being deliberately kept from him. Yes. And that is a feeling of like humiliation and embarrassment. But uh, deliberately you're like, oh, Julia, because you haven't been honest with me, I look like a total idiot because there's stuff going on around me that I am unaware of. Yeah. Everyone can see it except me. Mm-hmm. That's awful. Don't treat me like that. I yeah. deserve better than yeah. that. So and that's he why he's does. all pissed off and shoves Ed down. Yeah. Oh, and earlier we were talking about that line, your wife is awesome. And okay. something Mark had this said to me was guy. like, like Joel doesn't know that or something. You know, it's like sort of annoying when it's like a character who barely knows somebody telling her husband, wow, you're married to someone incredible. It's probably like, oh, well, I don't agree with you right now, but I know, you know. <laughs> Didn't well, Pete say something similar? Like your husband is so great. So, yeah. Or I wouldn't be surprised. I don't like Pete either. Or maybe I'm just thinking of the, I could tell you were more than a housewife. Yeah. Pete said some real shitty things too, but I really don't think anything's going on with Joel and Pete the way that no, it was. No. Yeah. 
I think that was more of a red herring. Like, let's bring in two possible spoilers to this marriage. One is gorgeous and British. And one is pudgy Ed Brooks. I mean, I don't really think that he is, but to quote Crosby. Which was is it that. Pete that I, I commented on the power play as I was yeah, walking? Yeah, yeah. yeah like, it feels like Pete is more of a... Like keeping everybody in place. Like I don't know that she's like I, I'm setting out to sleep with Joel. I think her ambitions are much higher than that. Yeah. I want to be in control of the situation, so I'm going to undermine you and undermine your feelings and undermine your anything that gives you confidence. Yeah. I'm going to undermine so I can get what I want from you. Whatever happens in between that happens. But the ultimate aim is not to sleep with Joel. But Ed's aim is to start a new relationship with Julia. That's what he's trying yeah. to do. And and it will make his lack of marriage okay because he will and he doesn't give a shit what who loses for that. But he also wants to be the nice guy. He wants all the parents to still like him. Mm. He wants everybody to look at him a certain way. He wants Julia to still talk to him even though she said don't touch me and he touched her. Like this is this is the thing. Well, and my sister once there were people in our lives breaking up and one of the the people went right into another relationship. And she said, you know, I don't think he, I don't think he left the marriage for that woman, but I think she was a soft place to fall. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And I think maybe that's what Julia is. Like, I, I don't know if Ed is so madly in love with Julia that it's like, yeah, forget my marriage. This is, but I think if his life is falling apart and here's the, this one good thing, I think he's thinking, let's get me a soft place to fall. Yeah. yeah. It actually does remind me a little bit of how Hank was last season with Sarah, like, well, you know, if it falls apart, it falls apart. Like, yeah, as long as I kind of get what I want, you I know. I can see that. Yeah. Well, but Ed is worthless character. <laughs> Hank, is, Hank not. is not. Yeah. I mean, and also, would any of this be happening if Ed had a job? I think not. Like, I think if Ed were feeling valuable in some area of his in life. some area of his life, yeah. but the place in which he most felt that, I and mean, he even said he never felt like a good husband or father, not like he did at his job. That's where he put all of his worth. So now Julia is becoming the only way in which you feel valuable. Ugh. And I think if Ed were to go talk to the Adam in his life, I think that person, if they were giving good advice, would say, this is not about her. Yeah. You, you, need, to, <laughs> you need to find some self-respect, man. And yeah. that's your problem here. You're, you're just going after her because it's giving you that hit. Yeah. It's not real, but I think that happens a lot. I think. Uh, yeah, I do too. I think like probably a lot of cheating is really about things like that. Like it's a symptom of you know, not feeling valuable or seen. So in that respect, I think it's been a very good uh, storyline. Like very realistic. Like what? it's not usually just about like lusting after someone. You know, it's more complicated than that. I think. And it's funny if I remember correctly, when Joel had this situation with Raquel. I believe he perceived the exact cause of Raquel's behavior. Because doesn't he say to Julia, she's been having some trouble in her marriage, blah, blah, blah. I think that he realized this is less about you, Raquel, being all that Interested attracted in me. to me and just needing something that you weren't getting from somewhere else. Which is just proof of how uh, in intelligent and perceptive he is. Yeah. I like that distinction that you made, Caleb, about him being able to step back and say, this wasn't about me. This was about the position that she is in her life and her looking for some kind of control and meaning. I just happened to be there. Because I think that, if pe more people could do that in, <laughs> in shows and in real life, I think that things would get sorted a lot, a lot better than they do. 
you know, I, I think we're in this constant search for meaning and sometimes we find it where there, where it's not there, you know, and like, I need to be here for a reason. I need, and instead of just existing sometimes or understanding that the world does not revolve around me. And I think that trait in Joel does kind of shine through in this moment. He is not just being a jealous husband. This is deeper than that. And I think that they've successfully cultivated this character to be in that moment and for people to understand where he's coming from. Well, Mark, I remember you saying to me early, early in our relationship that like when you were in high school and stuff, if somebody wanted to like make out with you, you were so flattered by that because you did think it was about you, like no matter what the circumstances. You know, if, if Julia is going to be really flattered that Ed's into her, it almost means she's missing something. And if Joel was able to understand that Raquel being into him wasn't really about him, if, if this makes sense, like the true achievement really is having a long-term relationship, like somebody to love for years, you know, and, and see you through baggage and really hard times. It's easy for like Gabby to find Crosby charming. It's hard to sustain a relationship with Jasmine, you know, like, and, and fight yeah. and get past it. It's, it's easy for someone to think that you're cute and charming when there's like literally nothing at stake and, you know, you've just met and they don't, they only know the surface you, you know? Anyway, those are just some of my thoughts too, that it's like kind of an immature viewpoint to and be so flattered. I've seen this in, in my life as I've gotten older. I mean, I, I know of people who, and, and I do think it's a, a lot of people who define themselves by how other people look at them in an attractive way. And I, I understand that to a certain extent, but I also think it's something that we need to kind of, it should change as we go along, you know, and, and if we continue to, to decide who we are and who we have our own self opinion based on how other people are seeing us as level of attractiveness or things like that, then we're never really going to get past that because there is more to see and there are more things to do than just have people being, you know, wanting to hook up or whatever. When we're younger, it makes sense to really have a lot of, put a lot of stock into that because you're, biologically trying to reproduce and, and connect with people. But as you get older, that's a trait that kind of needs to go away and evolve into something else. And maybe that's what I'm wanting from Sarah and Carl. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. More. Very nice. Yeah. I love that. Well, and wow, that's good. That. Yeah. Well, and I don't mean to sound judgmental of Julia when I say this, but I also think you and Joel have been having problems for a couple of months why would your energy be towards wanting someone else to see you as opposed to like, I don't know, trying to feel confident again in other ways, you know, like, like, okay, you didn't get hired for that one job. Why not try to get other jobs, you know, or, or put your energy, like, I think that's interesting. Like the, the need to be attractive or appealing to other people, like, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Although I didn't perceive her saying being seen as being found attractive. I think it just meant he heard entirely. me entirely. Uh, I show up at his office and I tell him that I'm drowning and he sends me away. Yeah. Rather than asking what's wrong. Yeah. But like mm-hmm. I get and I totally get that. But like if she talks to Adam, he absolutely like drops everything and listens to her completely and gives her really great advice. Anyone in her family would do that. Both of her parents have done that. And so I guess what I'm saying is if it doesn't have anything to do with being seen in a romantic light, why does she need Ed at all if she is being seen by other members of her family? 
Oh, yeah. Being desired. Being, yeah, or like... What is he offering that she's not getting elsewhere? Yeah, like, I mean, I get that she should be getting that from her husband, and that is a true issue that she isn't. But, like, the fact that it's so important for her to be seen by a man, you know, because she she can't be like, well, I can't lean on Joel right now. I'm going to lean on my family and, and try to process what's going on. And I'm going to try to get my confidence back by trying to get a job. And by, you, you know, it's just interesting to me that it has to come from a, a guy. <laughs> and, and that seems really important. To it's her. just one more thing that she should examine that she doesn't. That she won't. <laughs> well, and the, the eagerness that Ed has, you know, as you change the context of the situation, the eagerness looks different. When they're on a balanced plane or it seems to be, it just seems like he's really into what she's saying and doing all these things. But now when he's eager, he seems very desperate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He seems like a man who doesn't want to be alone, who the things aren't working out the way that he thought they were going to work out. And he's grasping at straws and he's refusing to understand that they're just not going to work out for him. And that eagerness just looks different. And I think it looks exactly like it was the whole time. It just masks as something else when you're not looking at the truth of things. But now that Joel's on to them and now that everything's out there and he's tried to kiss her and he's put his feelings out there, now you see it in a whole different light and she has to look at it that way. When he's approaching her in the morning, when he's drunk at that party, I don't think she's afraid of him like she thinks he would like hurt her, you know, physically or something. But I think she's like freaked out like, oh God, you're a live wire. (laughs) I thought this was kind of a safe thing, us talking but it could destroy my entire life. And I'm yeah. now really looking at you. Like I was putting my marriage in jeopardy for this, this drunk guy who's like behaving ridiculously at this, you know, at this function. And I think that it's just like a big awakening for her this episode. Like what the fuck have I been doing? <laughs> I didn't realize how dangerous this path was. Yeah. No. Anyway, boy. Well, did we solve it? I think we solved parenthood. We did. We're done now. Well, Yet again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate Just another week at the office. <laughs> I've been hearing some of these episodes with uh, Christina running for office. Oh, yeah. And I'm just thankful that I didn't have those because they were so cringy to me. Just like <laughs> not only the political, just the but like the political climate that we're in now and just hearing like the show. I just. Yeah. Oof. That was some rough stuff. So thank you for giving me this one. I can just (laughs) get away from all that ickiness. All right. Well, thank you again, Mark, for coming on the show. Yes. I love that you do this with us. Like, it makes me really happy. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) I appreciate that you've, uh, you know, wanted me on for the fourth time. Yeah. It's not nepotism at all, I'm sure. I'm sure it has nothing to do with... (laughs) sharing this space with me and it's all about the scintillating three plus hours of conversation that we have every single time it's all of that (laughs) (laughs) isn't it all um but yeah as always i i loved this talking to two of my very favorite people on the planet Aww. All right. Well, listeners, thank you for being here too. And um, please check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're Parenthood Pals everywhere. Please write us a review or send us an email. We love that stuff very much. You can find all of our information at our website, parenthoodpals.com. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.